Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see you. Welcome, 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 world changers. Yeah, we're going to have a good night tonight because we're going to get into the one of the most interesting books, one of the most powerful books of all of Scripture, and that is the book of Deuteronomy. I say that because the book of Deuteronomy was quoted so often. I mean, every time Yeshua, every time Jesus spoke to the devil in the temptation, he used the book of Deuteronomy against the devil. And you ever find, too, it's, even Paul the Apostle, he used the book of Deuteronomy a lot, you know, as a, uh, quoting scripture to support his doctrine. He used the book of De Deuteronomy a lot, more than pretty much more than anything. And so the book of Deuteronomy is very, very important. We're going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, we're going to get into that. And I'm going to be answering your questions, responding, responding to your comments. And so, yeah, gear up, buckle up. Get ready because we're going to have a good night. Make sure you invite a friend or um, you know a family member that you know of that might be interested in you know tuning in and listening. So yeah, make sure you invite a friend. Okay, so let's. Uh, I'm I'm live streaming on a podcast right now, as well as on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and D Live and Twitch and lots of other different platforms. So wherever you're listening to me. Uh, feel free to drop uh, some comments in the live chat, and I will get to those uh, as soon as possible. Speaking of comments, let's see what we have here on YouTube. We have uh, Kalamentos, who says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Again, we got the little graphics of smileys, emojis, and kala and wine. Roderick, Roderick says, Shabbat Shalom, brethren. Shabbat Shalom. Welcome. Good to see you, brother. 1 John 2.26 says Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, welcome. As always, great to see you. Bourbon and Bitters over on DLive. Speaking about DLive. Sorry, I can't I can't post your your little gif there that you that you put up here on the live chat. I can't post it, but um I can read it for, uh, for everybody that's listening. Uh, he posted a little graphic here that's uh, animated. It says, no Jesus, no peace, uh, animating both the K-N-O-W and N-O of no Jesus and no peace. All right. So welcome, welcome, welcome. As always, we have question uh, question for move. Form oof. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that properly. It says Shalom. Shalom, Shalom, Shalom. Psalm 94 says Shabbat Shalom, everyone. And there we do. We have the um Hanuk uh, excuse me. The what am I thinking about it? The, the menorah and the uh the Jewish star as well, the star of David. Awesome. Jeff says Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, welcome, welcome. William Sr. says Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, guys. All right, so good to have you all here. Uh, it's going to be a great fellowship. I'm going to, let me just quickly read one of the comments that I got on one of my TikTok videos. After that, I'll get into Deuteronomy and we'll get right into Deuteronomy. Very awesome book. One of the comments here I got in one of the videos, and this is something that I I have, for those of you who know me, I have spoken to this many, 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 many times. Uh, 
sometimes I just wish that somebody, you know, that people would kind of go back in my archive videos or the previous videos, the past videos, because some of these um, comments and some of these objections that people raise uh, has to do with videos that I just posted like the day before. And it's like, if you would just, if you listen to the video that I just posted yesterday, um, it would speak to it. So um, Vince Simon says, not one iota will pass until all is accomplished. Now, this particular person is antinomian, trying to come against the idea of the Torah being in effect or uh, applicable today. Okay, so he said, so he is referring to Matthew chapter five. He said, not one iota will pass until all is accomplished. You don't believe Christ accomplished. He's speaking to me. You don't believe Christ accomplished what he came to do in brackets, fulfill the law. You are wrong is what he's telling me. Okay, so um, let's get to, I know what he's talking about. I know where he's coming from, very much so, because I've read over it so many times, more times than I can remember. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, verse 17 and 18. Let's just go there. And he is reading from the NASB, or he's quoting from that. So I'm just going to pull this up for you guys on YouTube. And yeah, let me see here. See if I can get this. Okay, here it is. This is what he's referring to. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not presume. Actually, you know what? Let me read. Um, let me read a few verses here, and then I'm going to come back and, and just hash over this again. Now, again, I know that most of you, if not all of you, you know this very well, but apparently there are people that are listening um, that just don't know it. And perhaps uh, we can touch on a few things that we never thought on, thought of before too here. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not presume that I came. This is the words of Jesus, by the way. Jesus himself said, actually, let me, let me just make it like, let me just make it, um, let me just make it legit here with red, the words in red. Okay, do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke, stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least, see, wherever you see therefore, let me just say, wherever you see the word therefore, what, is, what it means is, okay, this is, this is the conclusion of what I'm talking about here, okay? This is what Yeshua is talking about. This is the conclusion. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments, by the way, the church by and large nullifies all of the commandments almost, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So uh, just based upon those four verses right there, what do you think Jesus is trying to say? Do you think Jesus is trying to say, hey, um, you don't have to obey the law anymore. 
You can just do whatever you want. Uh, the law is just up for grabs. I mean, hey, you can take or leave whatever you want and, and just leave everything and just just believe uh, something. Believe whatever. Believe that I existed. Believe that I died uh, for you. But um, for what if the law does not exist anymore? <sighs> so my point is this. Anybody who reads these four verses, if you have any kind of reading or comprehension skills, you should be able to pick out the fact that, that Yeshua is really pointing to the fact that he wants people to obey as much as they can. Every commandment that they can obey, they should be obeying. Okay, Everything that applies to them, at least. So let's, let's go through this again. Um, do not presume that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill. Now again, for the umpteenth time, the word fulfill here in the Greek is plerao. The problem is the translators, especially of the King James Bible, translate it very poorly because they translate multiple Greek words, completely different Greek words. Completely different Greek words, they translate them as fulfill. So you, you read in the English fulfill, it sounds like it's the same word. You read fulfill up here, fulfill down, down there. Oh yeah, it sounds like the same thing, but it's not. This is why it's important to understand a little bit of the original language. The fulfill here, play rao, according to Christianity's most trusted source of Greek definitions from the ancient New Testament manuscripts, plerao, in, in Thayer's Greek lexicon, means, according to 2C3, section 2C3 of plerao, it means to cause God's will, as made known in the law, to be obeyed as it should be. That's what it means. When Yeshua said, do not presume that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He said, I have not come to abolish, but to play. Oh, I have not come to abolish, but I've come to cause God's will. As made known in the law to be obeyed as it should be. That's exactly what he said. Moving on, he said, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away. Now we're talking about something that's going to pass away now. Something that's going to be finished. Okay? I tell you, for truly I tell, tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now this word in the Greek, uh, in the New Test, in the, uh, excuse me, King James Version, it says fulfilled, right? So it's not the same as this. This is fulfilled. This is fulfilled, but this says fulfilled in the, uh, I believe it's the King James and the New King James. But what this means it, it is accomplished. It means it's until it's all finished, until everything is said and done, until heaven and earth pass away. That's what it means. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a pen shall pass from the law until all is passed away. That's what he means. Accomplished, fulfilled, 
finished, done. That's what that word means, done. Not the smallest stroke of a pen. Not one jot or not one tittle, not one iota, not one yod, or not one tog, according to in the in the in the um, Hebrew, which are these little decorations that you see on Hebrew letters. By the way, let me see here. Um, no, I can't do that. I'm trying to think if I can show you uh, these decorations. Let me see. No, I can't. I can't do it. Okay. On a Hebrew letter, there's these little, it's almost like calligraphy, kind of these, like these, like these little horns and these little decorations that they put on letters. Yeshua said, not even this, not even that will pass away. Not even the decorations on the let on a letter of, uh, of the Torah in the Torah will pass away until heaven and earth pass away until all is accomplished till all is done until all is finished until the end of the world that's what he's talking about but this particular person on tiktok said not one iota shall pass away until all is accomplished he's speaking to me you don't believe that christ accomplished what he came to do fulfill the law in brackets you are wrong <laughs> um see this person's in multiple multiple levels of lack of understanding to put it really nicely lack of understanding first of all he doesn't understand what the word accomplished means Second of all, he doesn't understand what the word fulfill means. Thirdly, he doesn't understand what Christ even came to do. Yeshua said himself, he said, I came not for the righteous, but I come for the sinners. I came, what was the purpose? According to his own lips, to call them to repentance. That's what he said. That's what he said. Somebody might say, well, why did he die then? Why did he die? Well, to give us power to repent. Well, actually, he died because he died because they saw the the government saw him as a threat. Right? That was his charge. You know, uh, he was charged as being the king of the Jews. He's a threat to the to the to to Caesar. He's a threat to the ruling authorities. So Rome, Rome, the Roman authorities didn't like that. And so that's the reason why he died. However, we can we can identify with Yeshua's death and thus receive power to repent because we can say when he died, we died with him. We can identify with that. When he rose, we rose with him in newness of life, born again. So it's very, very, very clear what this what uh, the Lord says here. And he's very, very, very adamant that you should be obey, not just not just obeying, but teaching others to obey everything, the the least, the greatest, everything. 
He said, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean they're saved. That just means the people in the kingdom of heaven, the people of the kingdom of heaven will, will say they're the least, they're the, they're the lowest of the lowest. So, yeah, I tell you one thing, as a personal testimony, those of you who know me, you know that I'm very, I'm very strong on this whole idea that Yeshua's death is for us to identify with. And the reason why I, I'm so strong on that. See, a lot of people, they don't ask questions, right? Especially my opponents <laughs> or people who disagree with me. They don't, they don't think to ask, why do you believe what you believe? What brought you there? Because you see, I used to be part of a mainline, mainstream denominational church. And I used to be right into it. So what? how did I get here? Well, in regards to the death of Yeshua and what that means, it's a long, it's a long journey for me and a hard journey for me. When I got saved, God set me free from sin. But there was this one thing I struggled with. One thing out of all of the, the vast myriad of, 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 of sins that, that enslaved me from the old life, from the old, the, the old, my old man, so to speak, I had a whole boatload full of sins. But there was this one that hung on. And it really grieved me. And I went through the cycle of trying to justify it or, you know, uh, feeling sorry and praying, you know, and, and, you know, I prayed Psalm 51 so many times for the, for the first three years, because I struggled with this for like three years. I prayed Psalm 51 so many times. It's like, memorize it. I went through the, the ups and the downs. I got to the point where I was so adamant of fighting against this sin. I fasted and prayed multiple times, sometimes three days at a time. No food, no water. I was in pain. Literally pain. I don't, I don't advise anybody to go three days without food or water, but that's what I've done to try to break the bondage of this one particular sin that hung on. I prayed until I could not pray anymore. I fasted and prayed until I thought perhaps I might even go to the hospital if, if I keep it up. Okay? Say, I have a lot under my belt when it comes to what I say about my belief of what Yeshua did. And I'll tell you at the end of the day, finally I got free. Finally I got free. And I'll tell you what set me free. The truth. And I know that sounds simple, but it's not easy to find today. The truth is not easy to find anymore, even in church. 
I found the truth and that set me free and I'll never forget. And you know what kept me in bondage? The doctrine of vicarious atonement. The doctrine of Jesus died to pay for your sin. I know that sounds strange. I know that sounds like, what, what? Isn't that the truth? I'm telling you, that is what kept me in darkness. That's what kept me in bondage. And I didn't know it. I did not know it until I found the truth. So there was this church I was going to one, uh, this, would, this would have been back in 1995. There was this church that I was going to. And like, again, please understand, I've been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting this thing for three years. Okay. Hard fighting. On my knees, repenting, excuse me, to the best of my ability. Cycle of sin. Cycle of sin. A lot of pain, a lot of frustration. Again, fasting and praying multiple on multiple occasions to try to break this thing. And finally, I went to church, and, there was, and the pastor was preaching a sermon, and it seems like it was just for me. You ever, you ever had that feeling? The, the pastor was preaching a sermon, and the name of the sermon was, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Afterward, I heard, well, the pastor would, would uh, back in those days, it was 1995, he recorded every sermon, and then afterwards, he would sell the cassettes, right? He would sell the, back in those days, it was cassette tapes. He would sell the, the, uh, the cassettes afterwards. So afterwards, I heard it was his. It was his hottest, um, um, best-selling sermon ever. And what he said in that sermon, I'll never forget. He said, "You've been fighting sin." Like I said, it was just like he was speaking to me. You've been fighting sin. You've been fasting. You can fast and pray all you want. You're just going to be a miserable ogre. And I thought, "Wow, you can say that again." And he said, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And the truth is, you are crucified with Christ. Galatians 2, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 5.4, those who belong to Christ have Past tense, have crucified their sinful nature with its passions and desires. Done. And then all of a sudden, the light came on. It's like, I see. For the first time, I see what the problem was. The problem was, I believed the lie. That Yeshua died in my place. In other words, I'm there on the ground. I'm looking up at the cross. He died for me. He died so that I wouldn't have to die. He was crucified so that I wouldn't have to be crucified. Vicarious atonement. He paid the debt so that I could go free. You know the story.
the story of substitutionary. It's the, another another name for that doctrine is substitute substitutionary atonement. So all of a sudden, the lights came on. It's like ice. Substitutionary atonement is wrong. Really, really wrong. It's not substitutionary atonement. It is. It's not like he is my substitute. I I, I actually wrote a song previous to that. Um, and in that song, I said, he's the one that I love. Um, he's my substitute. I, I, I wrote a song where I talked about Jesus being my substitute on the cross. That's what kept me in bondage. That is what kept me in bondage. Because when I saw that that was not true and that I should, that, that I died with him, not that he died for me, then all of a sudden I found freedom by faith, freedom. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And so ever since then, I have been. And that's been 1995, okay? Ever since then, I have been strongly opposing the doctrine of vicarious atonement, substitutionary atonement. Jesus paid my debt so that I don't have to. Jesus went to court for me and took my, paid my fine because I couldn't afford it. All this nonsense. And that's exactly what it is. Nonsense. And so it was that, that revelation, that truth that set me free. And I, I know that not everybody needs, not everybody needs that. Not everybody needs that. A lot of people do. Some people don't. Just like Yeshua said, I don't come for the righteous. They're okay. They don't need me. I come for the sinners to call them to repentance, period. That's completely different than what you hear about in, in, from church today, right? That's that's completely different than the you know the typical Billy Graham kind of gospel anymore. So that's why I'm strong on that. I've been through a lot, and I found victory. And so that's why I'm passionate about that because I know how people struggle and how people resign themselves over to sin. For example, someone might say, hey, I will sin until I die. And then when I get to heaven, I won't sin. Um, I have a problem with that because it's not your death that puts a death to sin. It's his death that puts a death to sin. If you think that you're going to sin until you die, that means that you are putting more faith in your death than you are in Jesus' death. So, yeah, we got a lot of, uh, let me see, I'm just going to check out some, some, of, these, some of these comments on, on TikTok. 
I'll get to you guys there over on YouTube in just a minute as well. But it's it's unbelie it's it's really unbelievable. It's shocking what people believe. They don't really they don't really test it. They believe the modern Christian narrative without ever testing it. And then when somebody like me comes around that says something different, they oh yeah, they're they're fighting against me tooth and nail. It's like, listen, if you would just use that critical thinking against me, if you would use that against everything else you've ever heard, then you'd find the truth. Then you'd find the truth. Yeah, so this, this particular person says, uh, this would be on on TikTok again. Vince says, "Not one iota will pass until all is accomplished." Again, it's talking about Jesus was talking about heaven and earth, everything. You know, until until the end of time, basically, is what Jesus said. But this guy thinks that he's talking about something else. He said, "You speaking about me? Don't believe that Christ accomplished what he came to do, fulfill the law. <laughs> he did accomplish it. I know he, he accomplished it, and you should accomplish it too. Fulfill the law means to do it." And then someone else speaks up in the comments and says, fulfilling the law does not, does not mean you don't have to follow it. Good point. He fulfilled the law by following it perfectly. That's it right there. And, that, and then this, the Vince guy comes back and says, fulfilled it by following it perfectly? He literally came and disobeyed it intentionally. He is he is the fulfillment of the entire then he's he is the fulfillment of the entirety of the law. It's like Vince, do you do you understand you are you are contradicting yourself in one comment? In in one comment, you're contradicting yourself like I don't, I don't even have words to describe it. So, so Vince is Vince is coming coming against this other guy by the name of Abdullah that said that Jesus fulfilled the law by obeying it by obeying it perfectly, which that's the truth. He did obey it perfectly, and that's how he fulfilled it. And then Vince says, fulfilling it by following it perfectly, he literally came and disobeyed it intentionally. So. Vince, if if that's true, um, that means you are charging Yeshua. You are charging Jesus with sin, which means he's automatically disqualified as being your savior. And then in the very next sentence, in the same in the same comment, I wish I could show you guys. In the same comment, in the very next sentence, he says he is the fulfillment and entirety of the law. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. All right. Let's see what we got here on YouTube. I'll go through your comments, then we'll get to Deuteronomy. Vinny says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Good to see you all. Good to see you, Vinny. Welcome, welcome. Caballero says, Hello, everyone. Hello, Caballero. Welcome, brother. The Great Deception says, 
Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Still preparing here. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Blessings, blessings. The Tower Time says Shabbat Shalom, y'all. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Welcome. Yeah, and so, you know, a lot of people think that Yeshua, that Jesus was the only one who could obey the law. And that, again, that is just another one of these modern things that Christians believe because that's what they heard. That's not what the scriptures say. It's not what the scriptures say at all. Uh, you know, again, Yeshua made it very clear there are righteous people that don't need him. I don't come for the righteous. I come for the sinners to call them to repentance, to make them righteous. And my favorite one is Luke chapter one, verse six. Uh, very, very good uh, point to refute anybody who thinks that Yeshua is like the only one who can obey the law. Luke chapter one, verse six, speaking of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says, and they were both righteous before God. So these are the kind of people that Jesus said he didn't come for, right? They're both righteous. Walking in all, all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. So they had, there was nothing, nothing at all uh, that, that they missed. And they walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They walked it perfectly. They walked, they walked it perfectly. So anybody that tells you that Jesus is the only one to, that can obey the law, they're just parroting what they've heard other people say. The scriptures say something completely different. There are lots of people who obeyed the law that, that was in tune with Torah. Lots of righteous people. In fact, hundreds of times you'll see throughout the scriptures, God refers to the righteous people. And people who walk in the commandments, as it says here, all the commandments. I remember it wasn't last week we had um, Will on. We're talking about uh, when David, King David, you know, it says that the only thing in his entire life, the only thing that he messed up on was, you know, with the matter of uh, Bathsheba with in, in Uriah. That's it. Apart from that, he obeyed them all. He obeyed all the commandments. That's what it says. So, hey, I mean, if you can, if you can, if you can live your life without doing what David did to Uriah and Bathsheba, well, hey, David was blameless, perfect. Apart from that, he was blameless and perfect. Abril says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Have a happy and blessed Shabbat. You too. Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, welcome. So 1 John 2.26, now I run into Christians who say the Ten Commandments don't have to be obeyed either. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I've read that, or I've heard that people argue that as well. Oh, yeah, we don't need to obey the Ten Commandments. It's like, what? You think it's okay to steal? You think it's okay to murder? Like, so you think that God's okay with that? It says very clearly, many times, that God will not allow anybody like that in his kingdom. It's just not allowed. You read it in Revelation. 
even even Paul you know talks about that kind of stuff. First Corinthians chapter six verse verses nine and ten. Galatians chapter five verses nineteen to twenty one. None of the stuff, none of that kind of stuff is allowed. It's just not allowed. No tolerance, zero tolerance for that kind of stuff. It's amazing how lawless Christians have become. And it's 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 um, you know, it really is a shame. Samuel says, I have a question, brother. Sure. Did Yeshua ever talk about sacrificing animals? Yes, he did. Because uh, if a man commits a sin, wouldn't he have to answer for his sin? Why would the heavenly father want blood from an innocent lamb? A lamb cannot forgive only the heavenly father can do that. Very, very good question. Very good question, Samuel. Um, let me just let me just break this down a little bit. Let me just uh yeah, let me just break this down a little bit. Did Yeshua ever talk about sacrificing animals? He did talk about sacrificing animals. Remember when he said, uh, I believe it was in Matthew chapter 18, he said, you know, if you have, if, if a brother or anybody has something at odd, at, at odds or has something against you, you're supposed to work that out before you bring the offering, before you bring the, the, the offering to the altar, right? So Yeshua was, was talking about, the sacrificial system. He said, before you bring the animals to be sacrificed, make, just make sure you got everything, you got all your loose ends tied up between you and your brother, so to speak. Uh, that's that's one. Um, I'm sure we can find other other uh, examples as well. He said, like, remember when he cleansed the lepers, go show yourself to the priest. Well, the whole thing about showing yourself to the priest, according to law, included these kind of sacrifices as well. So that's another, I mean, we can, we can brainstorm, but yes, he did. He did. Um, he did talk about that. Cause if a man, okay. So let's continue. Cause if a man continues or commits a sin, wouldn't he have to answer when he have to answer for a sin? Why would the heavenly father want blood from an innocent lamb? A lamb cannot forgive only the heavenly father can do that. And again, very very good question and uh, there's a very there's there's a there's an answer for that. And the answer is God did does not always want blood. He's not a bloodthirsty god like that. He does not always want blood. There there are many um many times throughout the scriptures where it's very clear that people that God will forgive people's sins, and you know, atonement can be made for sin without blood. And I know that's a shocker for a lot of Christians today. That again, they fall into the common Christian narrative of you know, this is the way it is. I always ha it has to be blood, and therefore you know, Yeshua fulfilled that blood. Uh, people who say that they, it's either they haven't read the scriptures or they've read it and it just went over their head. Like a 747. <laughs> um, let me give you an example. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse, uh, actually the whole chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 30, the whole chapter talks about how if you just turn from your sin, we're on the book of Deuteronomy tonight. We're not going to get to chapter 30 tonight, but we'll get there. 
If you just turn from your sin, God will forgive you. And the curses that would have been would have been um, on you um, would be revoked. That's Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, speaks of the repent or repentance part. Verses 11 through through to the end of the chapter speaks about how easy it is to, to obey the commandments, to, to follow the Torah. So when Yeshua went around saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that was a summary of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Repent, verses 1 to 10, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. means it's right there. It's just, all you got to do is reach out and grab it. It's right there in front of you. Just, just take, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to climb up to heaven. You don't have to go down, dig it, you know, dig down into the core of the earth. No, it's right there. It's at hand. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 30 says in more or less terms. And so, you know, Yeshua, when he went around preaching, he didn't say, y'all are sinners. You need to bring your sacrifices. That's not what he said. So you make a good point, Samuel. Really good. Because he didn't say that in the way that it's taught today. Excellent, excellent uh, way of thinking, Samuel. He didn't say, you guys are a bunch of sinners. You need to uh, go, go find your, your, your lamb, your bull, your ox, and bring it to the temple right now so that you can be atoned for and you can be forgiven. That's not what he said. Never recorded that he said that. Never. But what he did say is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why would he teach that? In fact, that was the first thing he preached. And that was the last thing he preached as well uh, in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Not to the world, but to his own people, to the church. So why would it be so important that that was the first thing he said and the last thing he said? Because that's where it's all at. That is the gospel. Turn from your sin, turn to the Lord, and God will forgive you. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, a lot of Christians know this by heart, but they don't clue in. It's like they don't connect the dots. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, there is the repentance, turning from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Period. He didn't say, go and find your sacrifice. You need to, you need blood. Okay, you need blood. You need to cover your sins. You need to get atonement for your sins through blood. That's not what God said. Not what he said. First Kings chapter eight, another one. First Kings chapter eight. The question is, what do the children of Israel do when they go into exile? They are, you know, they're, they go into exile. They're not in their own country. They're not in their own land. The temp, they're not, they don't have access to the temple. They cannot bring sacrifices. What do they do? Actually, you know what? Let's just go there. This is, this is a good one too. Uh, first Kings chapter, chapter eight. Okay. 
Let's start with Solomon's prayer. This is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. It says, And Solomon stood before... Let me just let me just go to the New King James, a little bit easier to read. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. Then Solomon st- stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy. Listen, guys, this is the age of mercy, right? In, in, in the Tanakh, in going by the Torah, your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have, you have kept what you promised your servant, David, my father. You have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant, David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed, take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant, my, David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and earth Excuse me, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple which I've built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O my O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, and you shall hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this. May you hear the son of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Where's the the sacrifice there? Anyway, when, when anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated, when they are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven Forgive, their, forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land which you gave their fathers. Now, look, notice, they're not in the land. There's, they're not, they don't have access to the temple. There's no way for them to bring, to, to bring sacrifices, okay? Yet, yet they, will, they will receive forgiveness of their sin. Why? Because... They turn back to you. That's the that's the repentance. That's the teshuva. Okay, in he, in Hebrew, teshuva, turning back. Okay, praying, making supplications. Moving on. When the servants, excuse me, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then here in heaven forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk. Send rain on the on your land, which you have given uh, to your people as an inheritance, 
When there is a famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of the of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake. For they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays prays toward this temple, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you and your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple, which you, or excuse me, which I have built, is called by your name. When your people when your people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built uh, your name, then here in heaven their prayer and their supplication maintain their cause. For, for when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near. Okay, here it is. Here it is. All right. They, it, when, notice the context here. They're, if they're taken captive to the land of the enemy, that means there's no, no access to the temple, no access to animal sacrifices, nothing like that. No blood sacrifice can be done. Yet, when they come to themselves in the land where they are carried captive and repent and make supplication to you, pray, in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong, we have committed wickedness, and when you, excuse me, and when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies and uh, who lead them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and, and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them, grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. Okay, so, I mean, that's... One more, one more. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh is not a Jewish city. It's an Assyrian city. There's no temple, Solomon temple, Solomon's temple is not there. They're not Jews. They're not going to be doing sacrifices. This is Nineveh. They're Gentiles. It's a worldly city. Jonah goes there and says, God's going to destroy this city. They all repent 
and God forgives them. No bloodshed. No bloodshed. Leviticus chapter 5, it says very clearly, for sin sacrifice, bring a lamb. If, a, if you cannot afford a lamb, because a lamb is very expensive, bring a couple birds, uh, two turtle doves, two young pigeons. If you can't afford that, excuse me, if you can't afford that, bring flour. Like the stuff you make bread from, okay? Flour, wheat flour. Bring flour. That is your sin offering. That is your offering to atone for your sin. In the book of Numbers, also it talks about how incense, um, which is uh, reminiscent, or it's a, it's a picture of prayer. We know that from the book of Revelation. Incense represents prayer, makes atonement for your sin. So, again, it's it's a big study. It's a big study, but there's some there's some um, there's some tips right there. There's some things to go on. Yeah, there are. Multiple, multiple times throughout the scriptures where we have God forgiving the sins of his people without the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood. And people say, well, well, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Uh uh uh. Hold on a second. In context, it says, no thing can be cleansed from sin. You read the verse before it is talking about the articles of the temple. You read the you read the Torah, it talks about how everything, not just people, but things, material things, the the table of showbread, the menorah, the you know the lampstand, the the altar itself has to ha, has to have atonement made for it, and all the articles of the temple, and in that context. And according to the Torah, that's what the shedding of blood was. And we we read not too long ago about the red heifer, uh, the ashes of the red heifer, and so on and so forth. So uh, a lot of Christians just don't know because they've never studied it, and, and they think they know because they it's just they heard their you know they heard someone else preach it, which that particular pastor or evangelist heard someone else preach it. Just down the line, it's it's just a, a great. You know, he, it's like hearing it through the grapevine and so much error is picked up on the way. So much wrong theology is picked up on the way. So very, very good question, Samuel. I'm glad you brought that up. Going nowhere says, are you familiar with the gospel of Judas? Yes. It says that Jesus asked Judas to betray him. Do you think that's true? No. No. The, the gospel of Judas is one of those ones that, uh, 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 read it. You can read it. But I mean, uh, I, I definitely would not uh, hold any kind. I wouldn't put any weight to that. The same with the gospel of, what's another one too? The gospel of Mary Magdalene. Um, I don't have it on hand right now. There's, there, yeah, there's another one that's very, I mean, it's just very clear, clearly in error. 
Going nowhere says, why did God have respect for Abel's offering, but not Cain's offering? What did Cain do wrong? He didn't obey the Torah. It says clearly that Abel brought the firstborn of the, the firstlings of his flock, right? He knew to bring a lamb and he knew to bring the first, the firstborn of the lambs. Okay. He brought the best in accordance to the Torah. Somebody might say, well, the Torah didn't even exist back then. Uh, well, Moses didn't write it down at that point in time because that was uh, well, how many thousands of years before Moses was even born. But obviously, they knew the Torah. It was, it was known. Whether it was known by word of mouth or by if it was somebody else uh, that there's a lot of things in the first 10 chapters of the book of Genesis that, that we don't, it doesn't tell us a lot of detail that's left out. Perhaps Adam was taught the Torah by the Lord himself, which is a very good possibility. I mean, at this point in time, it's just speculation, but we know that the Torah was known. We know that because Abel obeyed it. Cain did not. We know that Noah obeyed it. We know that Job obeyed it. Job, Job lived long before Moses was ever born. The fact that Job's, Job's book is in the middle of the, like in the middle of the Bible makes it's very misleading. You think that he's like, you know, that he existed like sometime long after Moses, but that's not the truth. He existed like around the time of Abraham and even could have been before the time of Abraham. Like one of the early, early, early patriarchs of the early years. And we know that he knew all about how to serve God. He knew about what sin was. He knew about how to worship God. He knew about the sacrificial system. He knew about all that kind of stuff. Job knew. We know that. We can see it right in his book. Uh, but back to Abel, uh, Cain and Abel. So Abel brought the best of his flock, the firstborn lambs, just in, accord, right in perfect accordance with the Torah. Cain, it says all he did is he just brought some of the, some of the fruit, like some of the crop. He didn't bring the first fruits. It could have been he brought he brought the worst of the worst, the last of the, you know, the last of the season, the bottom of the barrel. Cain did not obey the law of God. He didn't bring the first fruits. Abel did. He brought the first, he brought, he brought, he bought, excuse me, he brought the firstborn of the flocks. So Cain was rejected because he, he showed lack of, lack of respect for the Lord. He didn't obey the Torah. Lots of things. Um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, Cain brought his offering, but pff, didn't bring a good offering. Certainly didn't say that he brought the first fruits. So that's why he was rejected. Going nowhere says, do you think that Peter was the first pope? No. It says very, very clearly. We see it in action in, in Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 21, that James was the, was the successor of Yeshua. We also read that in the book of Hegesippus. We read that in the Clementine homilies. We also read that in the, in the gospel of, of Thomas. There's, there are many different sources that all agree that James was the one who was the successor of Yeshua, not Peter.
Jeff says we we keep beating it on a dead horse via Paul. Yeah, you know it. That is how it feels, and you know this is the reason why I say that. Um, we you really and the truth of the matter is the truth of the matter is we don't really even need Paul, and I know that sounds sacrilegious, but it's not at all. Everybody that I know, every church that I know of, every pastor that I've ever heard preach, they all believe and preach. We are the church of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts church is our model church. Book of Acts did not have the letters of Paul. They did not preach the Roman road of salvation. In fact, for years, approximately a decade, scholars have ascertained, approximately a decade, the gospel was preached, people came, people got saved, people were added to the church long before Paul was even saved, long before Paul was even in the picture. So yeah, according to New Testament church, you don't need Paul. Paul was just someone who came in after the fact. Uh, so yeah, I mean, his letters, we can learn a lot from his letters. I'm not, you know, don't get me wrong, but a lot of Christians put so much emphasis, like that's that's their that's their Messiah, Paul. Paul is their Messiah. Paul is their God. Paul is their apostle. They don't even know that Paul is like the least of the least. Even he, even Paul himself said that in Acts, or excuse me, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. He said, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. I didn't even see the resurrection. I wasn't there when he was crucified. Uh, He's like, I was like one born out of due time. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What does that mean, born out of due time? It means he missed the bus. He missed the bus. He wasn't, he, he wasn't even around. He wasn't a firsthand witness. That's why he was not qualified to replace Judas in Acts chapter 1. HP says, am I keeping myself in bondage when I resist the Lord and don't come to him because of shame and self-hate? So the first part of that, uh, am, I, am I keeping myself in bondage when I resist the Lord? Well, any Anytime you resist the Lord, yes, you'd be keeping yourself in bondage. And you say you don't come to him because of shame and self-hate. Um, well, I mean... I'm not sure the situation, the, the circumstance, so, you know, take it for what it is. But if you do everything in your power to repent, if you do everything in your power um, and you understand how that works, then you can come to him because it's it's very clear that's what God requires. That's all that God requires, more or less, is repentance. Do everything you can to change. Do everything you can to stop sinning. And I know sometimes you, it's beyond your power. A lot of people, it's like they can't stop. And in that case, God does help you with it. He can and does help you with it. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's very, very hard, and it, it's like a—it's different for everybody. But 
Yeah. And you know what? Shame, shame is, it can be a good thing, you know, to keep us away from evil, keep and to God can use that to show us, Hey, you know what? You know, uh, this is something that's shameful. Don't do it again. Kind of thing. Like, uh, how does it say? Like godly sorrow leads to repentance. So godly sorrow can be a good thing. I wouldn't say self-hate is. Self-hate is not a good thing. Uh, so, but regardless, um, definitely do not resist the Lord. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I am going to start reading Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'm going to intermittently check the comments in the meantime. If you have a comment that you have specifically for me, if you got a question, um, let me just put this in the caption here. Okay, just put like at Christopher for the questions because that way I can kind of sort through. And you guys can, you know, you guys can have a nice little fellowship and, 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 uh, you know, do some live chat amongst yourselves while I'm reading. It's awesome. It's good to have some good interaction there. But I'm, I won't be able to read every single comment, but I will be looking for comments that have the at Christopher, um, prefix to it. So uh, just put at Christopher for any questions for me. And I will look that up. I will, I will take special note for that. Okay. So Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, excellent. One of the most powerful books of the Bible, because Yeshua used the book of Deuteronomy against the devil every time during his temptation. The book of Deuteronomy has basically everything you need in there in regards to how to get saved, even in this time, in this day. And how can I say that? Because you look at even the letters of Paul. Here we go again. Here the, even the letters of Paul, when Paul is preaching, quote unquote, his gospel, he refers to the book of Deuteronomy. Why do, Why would he refer to the book of Deuteronomy? Because, because he knows that the book of Deuteronomy is the top knot. It's that scripture. His letters were not considered to be scripture when he wrote them. And for hundreds of years after he wrote them, they were not considered to be scripture until much, much later. So when Paul wrote his letters, he needed to find something to back up his doctrine. And he used the book of Deuteronomy a lot. Not all the time, but a lot he did. So the book of Deuteronomy is a very key, it's like a cornerstone of the gospel, cornerstone of, of scripture. Definitely something everyone should... Uh, should be studying and should know very well. Once again, questions put at Christopher. If you want to ask me directly at Christopher, other than that, uh, you know, you guys can chat amongst yourselves. Deuteronomy chapter one, verse one. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. 
in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tofal, uh, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir, or Seir, excuse me, to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the sons of Israel in accordance with everything that the Lord had commanded him to declare to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites who lived in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edrei, across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, okay, no. Let me just let me just pause here because there's something on my mind here I, I need to talk about. Let's let me just let me just back up a step, okay? Because it's very important to understand this. Deuteronomy is a Greek transliteration, deuteronomos, anomy, okay, uh, which means second law. Namos, anomy, nama, n- Nami, right? Namos, Nami, Deuteronomy uh, means second law. And I believe the, re- the reason why it was called second law. Now, remember, it was, I don't think it was Moses himself that called it second law. I think it was probably the scribes later on, perhaps even the, um, the scribes that translated the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the original Hebrew back about 250 BC. So I think it's the reason why they call it Deuteronomy is because it's like, it's kind of going over everything again. It's kind of going back and kind of, it's it's like a summary of everything. Okay. Again, it's also very important to understand that the book of Deuteronomy in its original Hebrew, the, the, the Hebrew name of Deuteronomy is Devarim. Devarim doesn't mean second law. It just Devarim means words, just simply words. Devar im Devar word im is a plural of Devar Devarim words. So we have two different names for the book of Deuteronomy. We got Devarim and Deuteronomy. Two different names, two different meanings. It's not like the same meaning translated into two different languages, but rather two different meanings. Words versus, well, I, maybe I shouldn't say versus because it's, it's, you know, it, it's compatible with one another. Words and second law. I believe that the Hebrews, the, I mean, the Jewish people called it Devarim, words because the Deuteronomy is full of God's word. Not so much like the book of Genesis, for example, Yes, it has God's word in it, where it says, thus saith the Lord, quote, unquote, you know, what God said, that's God's word. Genesis is more of like, a. it's more of, I hate to say a historical book, but you know what I mean. It's getting, it's a little bit more of the historical thing. It's a little bit more of the historical element of the Torah. Same with Exodus. But once we get into Deuteronomy, and you see here, we see a, it's it's really really rich in words word the word of god 
It's really, really rich in, you know, thus saith the Lord. Let's continue reading. So again, verse 5. Across the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, Quote, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set out on your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, in the lowland, in the Negev, by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and their descendants after them. Unquote. I find it very interesting. Let me just stop here for a second, because notice this. The way this is, uh, in different, uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with all the different translations, but the way this is here, we have everything from, you know, uh, half of verse 6 all the way through to the end of verse 8, which is the thus saith the Lord part of it. It's the, it's the word of God. And notice how God himself speaks almost as if, he, as if it's a third person. Like God said, see, I have placed the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land which the Lord. Interesting that he doesn't, he didn't say I, which I swore to give to your fathers. He said the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So just, just an interesting little factoid there. Verse 9, and I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to endure you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times more than you are and bless you just as he has blessed you. How can I endure the burden and weight of you and your strife? Obtain for yourselves men who are wise, discerning, and informed from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me and said, The thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and informed men, and appointed them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and officers for your tribes. Just a second here. Uh, verse 16. Then I ordered the judges at, at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your, your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a person and his fellow countrymen or the stranger who is with him. You are not to show partiality in judgment. You are, or you shall hear the great and, and the small and great alike. You are not to be afraid of any person, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too difficult for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. 
At that time, I commanded you all the things that you were to do. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God has com- had commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and, you, and I said to you, you have come to the hill, the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not be dismayed. Do not be dismayed. You know, just an awesome, awesome uh, portion of scripture here. Now, I'm just, give me, uh, give me, give me about three, four minutes, okay? I will be right back. In the meantime, I'm going to have Hannah. We got we got some live music here, okay? I'm going to have Hannah play uh, for us. Uh, in the meantime, I will be back in just a few minutes. So enjoy, enjoy.
Thank you for your patience. And that was wonderful, Hannah. Thank you for your for playing. That's awesome. 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 Beautiful, be- beautiful music. Okay, so let's uh, let's get back into this in De- Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 22. Then all of you approached me and said, let us send men ahead of us so that they may spy out the land for us and bring bring to us word of the way by which we uh, by which we should go up and the cities which we should enter the plan pleased me and i took 12 of your men one man for each tribe then they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of eshcol and spied it out and then took and they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us they also brought us back a report and said The land that the Lord our God is about to give us is good. Yet you were unwilling to go up. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt by saying, The people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of Anakim there. But I said to you, Do not be terrified, nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, Just as a man carries his son on all of the road which you have walked until you came to this place. Yet, in spite of all this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to make a camp in the fire by night to show you the way by which you should go and in the cloud by day. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words, and he was angry and swore an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephani. He shall see it. And to him I will give the land on which he has set foot, and to his sons, because he has followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter there. Joshua, son of Nun, who stands before you, shall himself enter there. Encourage him, for he will give it to Israel as an inheritance. Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become plunder, and your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good and evil, shall enter there. And I will give it to them and they shall take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Let me just just stop here quickly for a second. I think it's important to understand that one of the reasons why the children, their children, as it says, they were so small, I I can just picture like children, toddlers, very young children, You know, like maybe even like kindergarten, grade one, grade two, you know, these kind of children, they will go in and possess the land. Why would that be? 
because they have not sinned like their parents did. So they were more Torah observant than their parents. Let's think about that for a minute. They were more Torah observant, the babies, the toddlers. They were more Torah observant than their parents. And I, I, I always say this, and it's the truth. It's easy to obey the Torah. A baby does. Okay, maybe I shouldn't use the word obey so much as to say that it's it's easy to not transgress the law of God. Because remember, most of the 300, they say there's 613 commands. Okay, that's debatable, whether there is or not. Even the Jews debate that. But 365, they say, commands are the negative commands, which means commands that you are not, like, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Things that you're not supposed to do. Like, there are commands against work. Against work. 248 commands are positive commands, things that you should do. You got to do this. So for the most part, the Torah is, is about not doing as, you know, as opposed to doing. It's about not working as opposed to working. So, and we know that the positive commands, the... The only positive commands that apply to us are those that that fit the profile. I mean, if you're, you know, if you are, if you're, if you're a priest from the Levitical tribe, from the tribe of Levi, then a lot of those positive commands would apply to you because a lot of those positive commands are for the Levites only. If you're a child or a stranger in the land, then only the laws that apply to strangers, that, that, those would be applicable to you. But a baby, a toddler, doesn't really have any positive commands. None of those commands, really, none of the positive commands really apply to a baby. That's how they can be perfectly in tune with the Torah because they obey all of the negative commands. I mean, they don't steal. They don't bear false witness. They don't murder. You know, all these other things that you're not supposed to do, they don't do it. So they, they're okay there. They're perfectly in line with the Torah in that sense. Now, the positive commands, what positive commands apply to a baby or even a toddler? So in that sense, they are perfectly in line with the Torah. They are perfectly, I guess you would call it Torah observant, although they really don't even observe it. In the, but you know what I'm saying? They're not violating any law at all. The Torah is easy to obey. Very easy. Very, very easy. We have the parents of the children. The parents in this story are the ones who sinned and violated the Torah. The children didn't. They go in to the promised land. Let me just check out some of your comments. Again, if you want to ask me specifically a question, make sure you put at Christopher, at Christopher. 
Okay. All right. Let me just take a quick peek here. Yeah, you know, it, this is this is something too. Uh, you know, when it comes to Abril, you really brought a good point as well. The lamb was not atoning for sin, but a goat. Many times it was a goat. Yeah, many many times it was a goat. Um, also, and we I pointed this out as we were reading through the Torah. You remember there were how many times where it said a female goat or female lamb sin sacrifice. I don't want to sound overly negative or overly, but I mean, seriously, how did Yeshua fulfill that? He's not a female lamb or a female goat. So why is it in the scripture so often we read that the female was the one that was atoned, the, the sin atonement? Question for Moose says, hello, I'm back. Hello, welcome back. Mark says, shalom, welcome. Welcome, Mark. Good to see you. Again, I'm sorry, I can't get to all these comments. There's so much here. Uh, let me see here. Anything you want? to stick out to me specifically just put at christopher in the front of it elizabeth says shabbat shalom shabbat shalom elizabeth great to see you back Roderick says amen so study to show yourself approved yes it's very important to study absolutely super important yeah, Alyssa. Alyssa says, study to show yourself approved and be like Bereans. Amen to that, 100%. Mark says, have you done anything on the first book of Adam and Eve? Um, have I read it and spoken about it here on the live stream? I, I believe we... I'm not... Uh, it's a good question because it, if I did, it's, it was so brief. It's, it's hard for me to recollect that, but it, it, that's a very interesting book, by the way. Roderick says, is an interesting part. Uh, the interesting part is how there was a high priest established well before Moses through Melchizedek. Yes. Also, that's good. But you know, think about this too. When all the way all the way back to the very beginning with Cain and Abel with their sacrifices and the altar, there had who was the high priest? There had to have been a high priest. Who was the high priest? Same with Noah too, right? That was before Melchizedek as well. Excellent, excellent, uh, Christina. Um, this is something. I mean, this is really. I can tell you're, you're really, you're, you're, you're thinking, and it's it's really good. Uh, Christina says, I think they forgot Torah during their generations in Egypt, and it was given again through Moses. But clearly, the Torah has been in place since the beginning. Oh, 
That's that's awesome. That is a really good point. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to have to skip this. I want to get to as much as I can here. If I'm sorry if I miss some of the things that you put in here. Um, Stone Corey asked, uh, how do you know Paul wasn't considered scripture and by whom? Okay, so if, think about this. The New Testament was not, did not exist in the first century at all. Did not exist during Paul's lifetime. There's no evidence whatsoever that the New Testament. Now, we know that some of the books of the New Testament have been written by the end of the first century. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about actually collecting all of those documents and compiling them all together and 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 into one volume and calling it the New Testament. Okay, that didn't happen. I mean, the oldest Bible we have is still four hundred years AD, approximately. Okay, give or take some. It's in the fourth century. So, and the, and the Muratorian fragment talks a little bit about that. So, the Muratorian fragment, let me just pull that up here for a second. Muratorian fragment. And that's late second century. Again, it's about mm, almost 200 years after the fact. And the Muratorian fragment's got a little bit of a kind of a structure of different writings that were read in the, in the churches, even that doesn't say it was considered to be scripture. For, it's very important to be objective here. Okay? The four Gospels are not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First of all, I mean, the truth of the, the matter is that, the, that most of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, most scholarly, most scholars say that they even debate who actually wrote Mark, who wrote John. Some say it was John the disciple. Others say, no, it can't be because it was written so late. Others say, no, it was, it was a different John. Uh, many people were called John back in those days. Um, of all the 13 letters of Paul that there, that is included in the New Testament, scholars have only really authenticated. They say, we know that seven of those 13 are actually from Paul, Paul's epistles. The other five, quite debatable. Second Peter, for example, it's pretty much a known fact amongst all scholars today that Second Peter is a forgery. It wasn't written by Peter. And there's a, there's a lot of evidence. Again, I'm not, I don't want to get into all that right now. Look it up for yourself. It wasn't written by Peter. <laughs> it's hard to find any credible scholar today that says that Second Peter was actually written by Peter for a number of reasons. However, when look at look at the 
look at the facts that we have. Paul came on the scene late, very late. Again, they estimate approximately a decade after Acts chapter 2. A decade of all uh, a decade of of all the disciples the 12 disciples already going out and preaching the gospel to all the world they're all they're already they are all apostles to the gentiles how can i say that because yeshua made it clear and go and preach the gospel to every creature go into all the world not just the jewish world all the world he made them all apostles to the gentiles peter or, excuse me paul came on the scene late very late he wasn't there for to see and to experience Jesus walking and talking and teaching. He wasn't there. He wasn't there for the resurrection. He wasn't there for the crucifixion. He wasn't there for the ascension. He wasn't there for Acts chapter 2. He's very late. When he, when he finally came on the scene, when he finally showed up in Acts chapter 9, Okay, and then it took, even he, even he himself says in Galatians that he uh, he went away. He didn't he didn't do much of anything for three years at least. He just went to Damascus and whatever. He, he didn't do much. Finally, after what that that we're we're adding up to what now thirteen years approximately after the fact, after the New Testament church began, so to speak. Finally, Paul decides to go on his missionary journeys, okay? So he goes on his missionary journeys. He goes to Galatia. He goes to Rome. He goes all around Asian Minor, okay? He, get, he comes back home. <laughs> he comes back home in Acts chapter 21. He gets in trouble. But he, come, he gets in trouble because people thought, you know, like, Paul, we heard that you're speaking against the Torah. Is that true? No, no, no. Um, so after his missionary journeys, he followed up by writing letters with a quill. Okay? He sat down with a quill and he wrote letters to Timothy. Oh, yeah. I met Timothy on the way and I spent some time with Timothy. To Timothy. Uh, Corp, uh, make, uh, my dear brother Timothy, make sure that you go to the household of Carpus. And gather my cloak there and my parchments. I forgot them. Could you please? Oh, yeah. And greet Aquila and Priscilla. He, his epistles were personal letters to personal people. He did not write it like Moses wrote the Torah. <laughs> Far be it from that. He did not write it like Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> the whole thing, you know. God, you know, thus saith the Lord. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. God said. The Lord said. Boom, 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 boom. It's just all the word of God. Whereas Paul is like, well, Paul, uh, an apostle, uh, uh, someone, uh, I believe that Jesus sent me. Although 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's like, I, I, I think I have the Holy Spirit. I think I do. Um. <laughs> And so, just a second here. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse forty. I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter seven, verse forty. 
I think I am. By the way, talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, check out verse 40. I, I, th- I think I have the, I, I, I think I do. I have the Spirit of God. That's what he said right here. I'll show you. Show you guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 40. And I, I, I think I, I also, not just you guys in, in Corinth, but also I do too, I, I, I think. But check out the whole entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Check out verse 12, okay? He's very, very clear. I mean, Christians today will say, every word of Paul is God, is the, is the word of the Lord for you today. Every word is what, is what the Lord says to, for you today. Uh, excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, Paul himself said in his own words, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, Mm-mm-mm-mm. not the Lord. Ah, uh, how clearer can you get? It amazes me how a lot of a lot of Christians, so-called Christians, can look at that and deny. Oh yeah, it it says the uh, the Lord didn't say that, but I believe He did, <laughs> yeah. because it's the word of the Lord, because it's the word of God. Um, sorry. It couldn't be much clearer. It's painfully clear here. Paul said, at least in this particular portion, he said, I'm saying this, not the Lord. This is Paulos. This is Shaul, okay? Shaul of Tarsus. Tarsus is not even a Jewish city. It's not Shaul of Jerusalem, not Shaul of Bethlehem, but Shaul of Greco-Roman Tarsus. I wonder how much authority that gave him. But anyway, he's like, to the rest, I, not the Lord say. Now, does that mean that it's not true? No, it doesn't mean it's not true. A lot of people say things that are true, and it's not directly the word of God. We read about it many times. You can get it from secular sources. Okay? A lot of secular sources say, you know, would tell you things that are a lot of things that are true, but it's not the word of the Lord. So don't think I'm saying that Paul is 100% lying all the time here. I think what he said here is the truth. He said, this is what I say, not the Lord. Okay, Check out some of the other uh, Bible translations, by the way. Let's just check out some of the other Bibles. King James says, but to the rest, I speak I, not the Lord. The NLT puts it this way. Now, I I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. NIV says, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. Okay? And again, ESV, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. CSB, but I, not the Lord, say the rest. I think we get it, right? I think we get what, what Paul is trying to say, and, and I believe it. I believe it. I believe Paul is telling the truth there. Excuse me. I think, I, think, I think Paul is telling the truth. What he's saying there is not the word of the Lord. It's his word. Can't get it much clearer than that. So when Paul sat down to write his person, personal letter, when we are reading Timothy, Galatians, Romans, Philemon, we are reading somebody else. We are reading somebody else's mail. 
Somebody raided the mailbox. More or less. Somebody got a hold of Paul's personal letters. And they started copying them. And that's how we got what we got today. Somewhere down the line, decades, perhaps centuries later, way after the fact, because so many people were, were copying Paul's letters, they were copying them. That's why we have so many manuscripts that have so many variations. There are like, what do they say, over 5,000 manuscript variations? Why, why would that be so? How could there be 5,000 manuscript variations, especially of the New Testament? And you know, most of them, a good part of them, if not most of them, would be Paul's letters. Why? How did that happen? I'll tell you why. Because they did not view it as scripture back in those days. It wasn't viewed as scripture. It was viewed as, as a personal letter from a, from a well-known Christian. It's like, I don't know, it's like, I, I don't know if, I can, if, I, if this would be a good enough analogy or a good enough way of putting it. It's like, for example, if Billy Graham, I know he's, you know, someone else. Let's, let's use someone else. Um, let's just use someone else. Who am I going to use? Um, a f you know, a famous Christian preacher. What's that guy's uh, Harvest Ministries? What's that guy's name? Greg. I slip in my mind right now. Yeah. Anyway, like if if there's a if there's a um, a famous Christian today, pastor, who wrote a personal letter to your church, everybody would want a copy. Okay, so y'all want to sit down? Oh yeah, I got a we got a letter from. Um, what am I thinking now? So, you know, it's been, I don't I don't pay attention to you know I'm. I hate to say this, okay, but let's say Joel Osteen, okay? I hate to say that, but let me just say, Joel Osteen, okay, we got a personal letter. We got a personal letter from Joel Osteen, okay? You know, here, you want a copy of it? Here, you can take this, you can copy it, okay? Here, take it. And thousands of people copied it, copied it, copied it, copied it, copied it. They didn't care about, about being super, super careful about copying it perfectly because it was just a personal letter from Joel Osteen. It wasn't like, the Torah. It wasn't the word of God. It wasn't scriptures. That's why we have over 5,000 variations. That's why. It was Paul's personal letters to the believers, to the, to the, to the, to the saints in Galatia. Hey, guys, I was just there on my missionary journey. I'm just following up on some things here. To the saints, another another letter. To the saints in Colossae. Yeah, I want to follow up with Colossae. I was just there. Yada, 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 yada. Oh, Timothy. Another one to Timothy. Yeah, dear Timothy. It was just Paul's personal letters. He never claimed to be a prophet. Never, ever claimed to be a prophet. 
He claimed to be an apostle. Some people challenge that. He claimed to be an apostle, but he never claimed to be a prophet. There's a big difference. Christians today treat him like he's a prophet. See, prophets, prophets are the ones through whom the word of God comes. Not necessarily apostles. There are millions of apostles. Millions of apostles. So, how do I know that Paul wasn't considered to be Scripture? Because he didn't claim it to be. He did not claim it to be Scripture. And nobody else did. Somebody might say, well, 2 Peter 3.16 says, you know, Paul, Paul's letters were twisted, you know, and many people understand it to their own destruction just like they do other Scripture. Okay? Now, there's different ways you can read that because the word scripture actually, by definition, literally means writing. All of the things you write in the live chat right now are scripture according to that definition. Every epistle that Paul wrote was scripture according to that definition. Anything that's written is scripture. Now, I know today, I know today. A lot of people, they're like, when they use the word scripture, what they mean is the holy word of God, the inerrant, all authoritative word of God. But that's not what it meant back in those days. The word scripture simply means writings. Look it up. Look it up. It just means writings. But Second Peter, again, was written by someone that claimed to be Peter, but wasn't anonymous, forgery. And he said Paul's letters are taken out of concept, twisted, and um, people twist them to their own destruction, misunderstand them to their own destruction, just like they do the other scriptures. Okay, Now, does that mean that Paul's letters are considered to be holy word of God scripture? No. It just means that people do... The same thing with Paul's letters as they do with, with Scripture. Okay? So you look at it for what it really is. The fact that Paul never claimed to be a prophet tells you that it's not considered to be Scripture. It wasn't until much later. It wasn't until after they put it in, in somebody. God didn't tell them to do it, but somebody put, took all of those letters took all those epistles and the Gospels and everything else, put it all together in one book, and then put it all together uh, with the rest of the Tanakh and called it the Holy Bible. Somebody did that. There was no evidence at all that God actually told them to do that. They just did that, probably probably for, for convenience. Okay, um, And then after a long time, ages later, Paul's epistles gradually became referred to as Scripture. When Paul sat down with Timothy and said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, he wasn't talking about his own letters. <laughs> Paul was writing a personal letter to Timothy. Right? When he said all scripture, he wasn't talking about his own letters. He was talking about the Tanakh, what was considered to be holy scripture in those days. Abril says, thank you for reading and everything else. Thank you very much, Abril. Thank you for your, your comments and your fellowship. I appreciate it. 
Again, those of you who want to ask me specifically, just put at Christopher at the beginning of your live chat, and I will spe I will pay special attention to that. Okay, let's get back to reading the scriptures. <laughs> the scriptures, um, Deuteronomy. Chapter 1, verse 41. Then you replied to me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every man of you strapped on his weapons of war, and you viewed it as, as easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up, nor fight. For I am not among you, otherwise you will be defeated by your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord, and acted presumptuously, and went up into the hill country. And the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you, and chased you as bees do. And they scattered you from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice, nor pay attention to you. So you remained at Kadesh for many days, the days that you spent there. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Verse 1. Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me. And we circled Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, quote, You have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north and command the people, saying, You are going to pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not provoke them, for I will not give any of you, or excuse me, I will not give you any of their land, not even as much as a footprint, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. To buy food from them with money so that you may eat, and you shall also purchase water from them with money so that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. He has known your wandering through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord, your God, has been with you, for you have not lacked anything. So we passed beyond our brothers, the Saw, who live in Seir, away from the Ar Araba road, away from Elath and Izion Geber, and we turned and passed through by the way of the wilderness of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not attack Moab, nor provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to the sons of Lot as a possession. By the way, Lot, um, I, the, the correct pronunciation would be Lot. Um, so I will use that interchangeably, Lot and Lot. Verse 10, the Emim lived there, Previously, as a people, a people as great, numerous, and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they too are regarded as Raphaim, 
but all the Moabites call them Amim. The Horites previously lived in Seir, but the sons of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and settled in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Now arise and cross over the Wadi Zared. Wadi Zared in the footnotes is the dry stream bed, except in the rainy street, except in the rainy season. Dry stream bed. So arise and cross over the dry stream bed yourselves. So we crossed over Wadi Zared. Now, now the time that it took for us to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the Wadi Zared was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war perished from within the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. Indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from within the camp till they all perished. So it came about when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me, saying, Today you shall cross over Ar, the border of Moab. When you come opposite the sons of Ammon, do not attack them nor provoke them, for I will not give you any of the land of the, son of the sons of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot, or Lot as a possession. It is also regarded as the land of Raphaim, because the Raphaim previously lived in it, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim. Zan, excuse me. A people as great, numerous, and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them. And they dispossessed them and settled in their place, just as he did for the sons of Esau, who lived in Seir. When he destroyed the Horites from before them, they dispossessed them and settled in their place. When they remained, even to this day, even as for Avim, who lived in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftorim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and lived in their place. Arise, set out, and pass through the valley of Arnon. Look, I have handed over to you Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Start taking possession and, and plunge into battle with him. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the faces of people everywhere, who, when they hear the news of you, will tremble and will be in anguish because of you. So I, I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the words of peace, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will travel only on the road. I will not turn aside to the right or to the left. You will sell me food for money so that I may eat and give me water for money so that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the sons of Esau who lived in Seir and the, and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me until I cross over the Jordan into the land that the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. Again, this is very interesting here that God himself here actually hardened the heart 
of Sihon or Sihon, just like he did to Pharaoh. Okay. So for, for one reason or another, God actually hardened the heart of this particular king for a reason. Okay. Um, and I think it was because for his glory, actually, because we know later on that the children of Israel actually, uh, they win a great victory over this king. And uh, so the Lord gets a lot of glory for that. In the book of Psalms, we read how uh, the, the Lord is praised for how he, how he gave Israel um, Sihon, the king of Heshbon. So the Lord hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to hand him over to you as he is today. So there's, there's the reason right there, in order to hand him over to you as he is today. And the Lord said to me, see, I have begun to turn Sihon or Sihon and his land over to you. Begin taking possession so that you may possess his land. Then Sihon came out with all his people to meet us in battle at Yahaz. And the Lord our God turned him over to us and we defeated him with his sons and all his people. So we captured all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men, women, and children of every city. We left no survivor. We took only the animals as our plunder and the spoils of the cities which we had captured from Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city which is in the valley, even to, the, even to Gilead. There was no city that was too high for us. The Lord our God turned it, turned it all over to us. Remember, in those days, cities had walls around them. Verse 37, only you did not go near the land or the land of the sons of Ammon all along the river Yabok and the cities of the hill country and wherever the Lord our God had commanded us to avoid. Deuteronomy chapter 3, Deuteronomy chapter 3, con conquest recounted. So, Lord willing, Lord willing, tomorrow we will get into Deuteronomy chapter 3, chapter 4, maybe even chapter 5 and chapter 6. We'll see how it goes. And so, yeah, looking forward to that. Just going to go through some of your comments here. Alyssa says in Hebrew, it's Sihon. Thank you very much, Alyssa. Alyssa. Oops, excuse me. Um, okay. Um, Again, I'm just going through your video or your your um, live chat here. See what we have, and so much here is hard for me to even scroll through all of this. But see, I hope I can hope I don't miss any of these uh, questions. 
Stone says, when you, sh- when you showed Paul saying he thinks he has a spirit, is that what it says in the lexicon also? Uh, okay, so it's just, I know it's hard to swallow. It's a hard one to swallow. But I mean, hey, I mean, even if he said that, even if it doesn't say that, you know, I think it does, but we'll look at it in just a minute. But even if it doesn't, say that he thinks he has a spirit. Notice that he never outright claims, I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit spoke, spoke to me and he said thus and thus. He never claims that everything that he wrote is from the Spirit of God. He never claims that he actually, he didn't claim much at all when it comes to this kind of, um, the topic, this this topic at all. Okay, so in the lexicon, I'll show you what I'm pulling up here. Uh, this is from first corinthians chapter 7 verse 40 and the word okay and i think i think also that i have the spirit okay so in the greek um dakeo think or seem suppose seem good please so most of the time it is translated as as think to be of opinion think suppose to seem be uh, reputed it seems to me i think judge thus in question there we go thus in question okay so yeah um and and it, before we get too far with this as well, let's 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 also see what all the other uh, scholars and uh, in uh, translators said in different translations. Okay, KJV, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. Uh, NKJV, same thing, and I think I also have. Uh, NLT, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. NIV, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. Uh, ESV, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. Uh, so it seems like all of them, all of these people, all the translators agree that's that's how it is to be translated. That's what it means. Um, so I think it's pretty clear. Uh, you know, Paul didn't make any any emphatic statements about that at all. Joshua Foote says, Shabbat Shalom. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you. Hope everything is going well. Will Sr. says, and Christopher, um, like Paul talks about head coverings. I'm not sure what context. I'm, I'm sorry, Will, but I'm, I'm not sure what context you are. I'm not sure if what you mean by that. Sorry about that, Will. I'm just going through some more. Alyssa says, Toda, welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Dale, Dale, uh, very interesting question. What are what are what is your thoughts on sacrifices being female lambs? 
okay, so my thoughts are Jesus could not fulfill that. I mean, he wasn't a female. <laughs> so he could not feel, fulfill that. Uh, the reason why God chose female lambs, now that, I, I cannot speak to that. That's something, you know, I, I would have to look into deeper. Uh, I, I find it very interesting. I find it super interesting that we have many times when God said that, female lambs, female goats for sin offering. And many, many times he said male too, but many times he said female in certain circumstances, female. So that's the extent of my thoughts on that. I, I'm, you know, I'm sorry I can't get into much more detail, but it's very, very interesting. And <laughs> if it said male lamb, and like like the tip, like the typical, you know, doctrine of modern Christianity today, you know, that, that Jesus is the male sinless or spotless lamb, the firstborn lamb. Now, if that's if that's what it said. Everywhere in the Torah, that that a male lamb firstborn was to be sacrificed for atonement for sin, then I would say, hey, I mean that doctrine would have a would have a leg to stand on. But the fact that that's not the case <laughs> many times, um. <laughs> What can you say? I mean, <laughs> I do not see how Yeshua fulfilled how he became a female lamb or a female goat. And and likewise too, you can say, well, the first firstborn bull, young bull. Uh, maybe you can say that. You can say that he's like a bull, right? He's, he's male. He's, you know, because bulls in the book of Enoch represent, you know, the patriarchs and these kind of things, like a strong men of God. You can say, yeah, okay, so he, maybe the bull kind of represented him, but how do you get a female a lamb to represent him? So. Stone says, yes, Yeshua told him things many times in his letters. Talking about Paul. Um, rarely, rarely. I mean, he said that, that he got his gospel from the Lord, but pff, millions of people say that. I can say, what if I said, okay. The doctrine I'm preaching, I got for the, from the Lord. Millions of people, be it true or false, be it heresy or true, I mean, God, God, gospel or heresy, it doesn't matter. Everybody says that, right? So again, we have to take it with a grain of salt. We have to take it with a grain of salt. And he didn't say that very much. He didn't say that very much. 
there's one quote that Paul made of, he said that Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, but where did Jesus say that? Where did Paul get that from? And you see, this is the reason why you read the Gospels, and the Gospels are full of the words in red. If you've got a red letter Bible, okay, you read the Gospels, and the Gospels are full of the words in red. Then you get to Paul's letters, rarely find words in red in Paul's letters, okay? You'll find, oh, when, 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 when Paul claimed that Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness, that's in red. Um, when Paul said that Yeshua, when he claimed that Yeshua says better to give than receive, that's in red. But there's not much in between that. There's not much. And again, Paul does not speak. You read. I, I don't know if you if you if you compare the real Word of God kind of Isaiah, Jeremiah. Moses, like what we just reading here, Deuteronomy, lots of it. The Lord, your God spoke and said this, quote and unquote. The Lord, thus saith the Lord, quote and unquote. God spoke to you guys and said this, quote and unquote. Much of that is a lot of that in the books of the prophets. The only time you see that in the books of in the in the letters of Paul is when he is quoting the prophets. He never of himself claims, "Thus saith the Lord." Never. In that context, okay. So he, his his letters again. If you read his letters, it sounds like he read his letters. You you'll hear that he speaks like a brother, not like a prophet, not like Moses, not like Hosea, not like Micah, not like Malachi, not like Jeremiah. He spoke like a brother. Hey, you know, I hope, I hope this, you know, grace and peace to you. Hope you're doing well. You know, say hi to your grandmother, Lois, yada, 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 dun, 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 dun. Oh yeah, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Yeah, again, when he when he said that to Timothy, he, Timothy would read that and say, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, oh yeah." Oh, we got a letter from uh, Paul in the mail here. Oh yeah, he said all scripture is given by inspiration. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, we know what scripture is. It's the Torah. It's the law and the prophets. Yeah, of course, you know, and it, that's what it was. You got to believe. See, the problem is, and I understand because uh, you know, I, I, been there, done that. You got to believe what Paul's letters are in and of themselves. You got to believe what they say about themselves. You believe what man says, you start going off on, you know, because man says Paul's epistles are the word of God. Every word is for us today. Well, sure, there are parts of it where he does quote the word of God. I'm not, I'm not debating that. The word of God is in that, just like the word of God is in Joel Osteen's books. Just like the Word of God is in Rick Joyner's books, okay? <laughs> Just like the Word of God is in Joyce Meyer's books, okay? It's in there. But not every word that they wrote is the Word of God. And that's the way it is with Paul. It's in there. The Word of God is in there. No doubt about it. He quotes it. But he doesn't claim to be a prophet. 
That's a big, big difference between apostle and prophet. You can be an apostle and not even speak the word of God. I hope that's clear. And you say, Acts is debatable. I'm not sure what you mean by that. I'm not sure if you're questioning the entire book of Acts or whether you're questioning something else, but... Dale says, would it, would it point... Like this would be in the context of um, the female lambs or the female goats. Would it point to us as being weaker vessels? And that's a very good. That's a very good question. That's a very good thought. Like because again, even in those days, the idea of sacrifice was was sacrifice. Uh, you are supposed to feel some ouch in the pocketbook. You are supposed to feel some kind of ouch in your soul in your spirit. When you bring a sacrifice, you are supposed to feel some kind of pain. It's not to be, it's never, never was used as a payment for sin. That's the problem too. You read it in the scriptures. The sacrifices are, were never supposed to be used as a payment for sin. In fact, many times throughout the scriptures, the Lord was super angry with people when they did use it as a payment for sin. You think, you know, I, um, Amos chapter 5, uh, th throughout the book of Isaiah, uh, many, how many other, you know, Jeremiah chapter 7, uh, many places where, where God says, I reject your, your sacrifice. It's a stench in my nostrils because of your sin. You think that you can just bring a sacrifice and cover your sin with that? No, that's not how it works. You think you can just go and sin and then just bring your sacrifice and buy the blood of the sacrifice that pays for your sin? No. Capital N, capital O. That's not how it works. God made that very clear. So we are supposed to relate to these sacrifices. And so very good point, Dale. Very good point. Will Sr. says, was referring to some in the Hebrews claim that head coverings are a must because of Paul's writings. And you see, if I understand you correctly, if I understand this correctly, it's like, Like the question being, was head are head coverings considered to be a must because of Paul's writings? Yeah, they were. And you see, Paul's writings, Paul wrote a lot of things that are not in the in the law of God either, uh, in the written law, that is. In the see, when, when Paul spoke about the coverings, head coverings and other things as well, some of this stuff was from the Talmud. So, 
Yeah, there's a lot of things that that Paul claims. Well, and people that there, like for example, too. Um, what am I thinking? But there's a few times in the in the New Testament where it says the law said, like for example, the law says a woman should not speak. Where does it say that in the law? Right. Well, Paul says that. Where does it say that in the law? What law is he talking about? So and that that brings a question about well, every time Paul said law, he wasn't talking about the written Torah. He wasn't talking about the law that, that well, the books of Moses. He was talking about some other law. And that's where that theory comes from. Same with uh, Peter, where he said, um, the law says that the gen- Gentiles are... And, and Jews are not supposed to be friends or not supposed to be in fellowship together. That's also in the New Testament. But, but where does it say that in the law? It doesn't. So it's either, it's either if I, if I, if I talk like, um, you know, if I come at this like, like our, our good brother Onia would, we would say, well, maybe it's either they had a different copy of the law that, that included that or the law that, they're talking about is not the law of God as we know it. It's the law of man or the Talmud, the Halakha, the Jewish law, right? The Gemara, that kind of thing. And so there's a lot of, this is the problem too. A lot of Christians, they read, they read through the new Testament, but they don't cross, they don't cross reference it with the old Testament. It's like, like, like that is a good example. Where it says, you know, you know, according to law, Gentiles are not supposed to be friends with Jews. Jews are not supposed to be with Gentiles. It's like, where? No, nobody questions it. Nobody challenges it. And because they don't challenge it, they just automatically assume that it is. It actually does say that, but it doesn't. Will says, for example, Paul, and I see what you got down here in Paul Neeson. Paul Neeson swears up and down that uh, by this and as an order of modesty. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think modesty, you know, is a very, very important thing. Uh, but I, I hear you, Will. I know what you're saying. I know what you're what you're saying, and I and I, you know, I I, I see what you're what you're uh, what you're what you're showing me here. Um, yeah, Paul Neeson, he, he's more on, (laughs) Paul Neeson is a little bit more on the side of, he's a little bit more lenient uh, towards that thing as opposed to me. Stone Quarry says, he says that Paul never says the Lord told him something. That's not true. That that is untrue. And are you speaking? If you're if you're referring to me, I that's not what I meant. Okay, please don't misunderstand me. When I said Paul does not say, "Thus saith the Lord," okay, that much. It, Unless he's re- unless he's quoting from the from the Tanakh, then he's you know then he says you know we, you know God says this or the Lord says that, and that's true because he he has to go back to the Tanakh because the Tanakh is the only thing that's considered to be scripture in his day. 
And it, ha- and it was for many years. That's why he keeps on referring to the Tanakh over and over and over and over again, because he had to in order to build some kind of substantial support for the doctrine that he was that he was bringing. But I didn't say that Paul never says that the Lord told him something. Because he said very clearly, if you just, if you just remember what I just said, not too long ago, what, 10, 15, 15 minutes ago, I said, Paul said, the Lord said to give better, you know, to give is better to receive. Or Paul said that the Lord told him. Um, I just quoted that. So don't take me out of context here. I just openly admitted Paul said the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I've made that perfectly clear. So don't think that I'm, you're obviously misunderstanding what I'm saying. And I know you're kicking against the pricks because you are putting a, too much of a high value on, you are holding Paul equal to or possibly even over that of other prophets. I, I shouldn't say other prophets because Paul is not a prophet of the of the prophets, okay? You're holding Paul as if if Paul says it, it's true. even if even if it says if God says something else uh, elsewhere, then what Paul says is true because Paul is like the final authority. No, he's not. Not even close to the final authority. You look at how they treated Paul in Acts chapter 15. You look at how they treated Paul in Acts chapter 21. Okay? In Acts chapter 15, they didn't give Paul a word in edgewise. In Acts chapter 21, they didn't give Paul a word in edgewise. Okay? Because he didn't have the authority to do that. Stone quarry. Paul does say the Lord told him things. Yeah, like I said, I made it very clear. Okay, don't take me out. Don't take a little sound bite like how like some people do to just to try, you know, maliciously take a little say. You said Paul never said. Oh, hold on a second, because I just in context. If you look at everything I told you, I said Paul said that. Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. I said, Paul said, Jesus said, you know, it's better to give than receive. Okay. And yes, Paul did claim that, that he, that he, what he got, he got from the Lord. Okay. And I, I said that at the very beginning. So again, don't take me out of context. Don't just take a couple words here or one sentence here and take it out of complete context of what everything else I said. It sounds like <laughs> Yeah, so I am giving you like I see here Roderick who says to you verses, just show verses. I am giving you examples. You're not giving me examples. I am giving you examples. I said, "Yes. Paul says this, Paul says that, and Paul says the other thing." Paul said the Lord showed him things or 
he what he got is he got from the Lord. Okay, I told I gave you that. I said Paul said Jesus said two other things, and I gave you specific examples. You are not giving me specific examples. What you should do if you are trying to say that Paul this Paul that give me give me an example, give me a verse, give me a verse. Stone Quarry says there are many. Okay, give me verses. I have given you at least three. Perhaps there are four. If you can find more than that, I'll be surprised, okay, where Paul specifically says that the Lord said something. But don't forget, this was over a period of decades that he wrote all these letters, okay? So he doesn't say what he doesn't. You read Isaiah. You read Jeremiah. You read all the prophets. They all sound very much the same in the way that they present the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. They all speak with authority. You read James. You read John, especially 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You read Peter. They all speak very, very similar. Okay, they're very, 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 very similar in how how they speak. They all talk about holiness, personal holiness. They all talk about obedience. They all talk harsh against sin. Even John said, if you sin, you're of the devil. That's what John said. If you commit sin, if you sin, you're of the, whoever sins is of the devil is what Paul, is what John said. So Peter, James, and John, Yeshua, Jesus, they all have, they all are very much in tune. Paul is, is the sore thumb that sticks out. He doesn't talk like that at all. So give me verses. Give me verses. Stone Corey says, he says that the Lord said his grace was sufficient. Yes, I've said that. Um, how many times now I've said that? So give me verses. I've already, I've already, I've already acknowledged that. And you say it again. Um, my grace is sufficient. Yes, yes. That's not in dispute here at all. I've already acknowledged that many, many times. That's not in dispute. Show me verses where Paul says, the Lord spoke to me and said this. Jesus says this, or thus saith the Lord. Show me verses. I've told you what I know. As far as I know, there are explicitly Paul mentions. Uh, again, don't, don't, uh, you need to understand this is, we're talking about decades, okay? Decades. They figure he started writing his letters in the 50s. 
He ended it maybe in this, well, it took a couple decades anyway, two or three decades for him to write all of his letters. And over the period of decades, you can only get at the most, maybe five sentences of the Lord in Paul's letters. I mean, explicitly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's full of Jesus said this, the Lord says this, Jesus says this. It's full of it, full of it, full of it, okay? Paul's letters is not. Paul's letters is not. Stone Quarry says, grace is unmerited favor. Boy, oh boy, you sure bit into that one, hook, line, and sinker, didn't you? Hook, line, and sinker right into the common corrupt Christian narrative. Uh, Christina's uh, Acts chapter, I appreciate the, the scriptures. I appreciate the scripture references and the quoting it's a, it's a breath of fresh air to talk to somebody who uh, gives me scripture references. That's good. Paul says he has a vision of the Lord. Yes, he did. He claims to be, he, uh, he does claim to be a prophet. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. Um, and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. Okay, um, like the way the way I look at it, the way I look at it, Christina, like every person that I know of personally, every Christian that I know of personally have all had visions of God, visions of the Lord. Um, I everybody that close to me personally in my life have has had visions and dreams. When God appeared to them, I can say that happened to myself too. Okay. I don't claim to be a prophet. And none of the people that I know, actually, you know, one person, I think maybe one person doesn't really claim to be a prophet, but is almost there. So, yeah. Uh, Stone quarry is going on about fruit. I don't know what that has to do with what we're talking about. The fruit of the spirit. Okay, but that's this. You're not answering the question at all. You're not. Where are the where are the verses where G, where Paul says the thus saith the Lord. Where are the verses where where Paul said Jesus spoke and said this? Boom, quote and unquote. Where are the where are the verses? Trevor, Trevor says, what did I miss? I'm going to have to watch the replay. <laughs> Welcome, Trevor. Good to see you. Stone Quarry says, I don't think the thief on the cross jumped down. No, uh, but he did completely comply to Torah, and that's the reason why he was saved. 100%.
Christina says, I think he was a false prophet because in Acts 21, they all attack him to harm him. Uh, 40 men take an oath not to eat or drink till they kill. Uh, it wasn't a true, it wasn't a true vision. Acts 18. Hey, I, you know, I'm not gonna, this is the way I look at it, right? I mean, people, you got people, you got messianics who defend Paul all the way. And then you got messianics, you got some people who are opposed to Paul all the way. And either way, I think the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this. If, if a person is in line with the word of God, if they, if they go with the, the instructions of God, if they're, you know, if they're in line with the Torah, then that's really all that matters. So, um, yeah, a lot of people are, a lot of people would be, what do you call it? A lot of people would be offended at what you said, Christina, but we're like, Paul is, is not our savior. Paul is not our Messiah. They did not need Paul for many, for how many, a decade. Okay. They did not need Paul for a while in the, in the New Testament book of Acts church. And so, Hey, if Jesus wanted to, he could have called Paul the first apostle, the first disciple that he called could have been Paul, but he didn't. I think there was a good reason why he didn't. So when Corey says, I believe there's a new covenant and it's baptism now. You realize that baptism actually started in the beginning in the book of Genesis. Trevor says, would that be God appearing to you if you almost died and felt something? It's not necessarily seeing his face, is it? Uh, if I understand your question correctly, kind of you're speaking to what we what we spoke about there just minutes ago um, about uh, receiving, receiving visions of God. That's not everybody gets visions, and I'm, I'm not saying that everybody should get visions, all right? But I mean, everybody that I know of personally have has had visions or dreams um, of 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 the Lord, and I'm not talking about near death experiences. I'm talking about visions when the Spirit of God comes upon somebody and they see things, or God speaks to them and they hear things. Very interesting, Stone Quarry. I mean, again, I can tell just really, really hook, line, and sinker into the into the into the modern, what I call the modern corrupt Christian gospel. Okay. The blood of the doorpost is to signify the blood of Christ. He's the Passover. Okay. Here's another thing. You realize, you realize that the Passover lamb was not an atonement for sin. It's very clear, it's a difference. The Passover lamb only saved one person in the household, the, the firstborn son. That's all. And nothing to do with anybody else. 
right? Just the firstborn son. Alyssa says, he's saying Yeshua said to bear fruit, meaning he thinks of Yeshua as Lord. And Paul writes, if, and Paul writes, if the fruits of the Spirit, they are two different references, Stone Quarry. Yeshua meant to spread seeds to bear more fruit. Yeah, I mean, that the whole thing about the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is nothing. He doesn't, nowhere does it say that Paul said that, you know, Jesus spoke to me about the fruit of the spirit. And these are the fruits of the spirit. That's not what he said. (laughs) Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Yeah, we have one. We have one in our midst, people. We have one in our midst. So (laughs) I believe the law and the prophets were until John. Since the time of the kingdom of God is preached, and all men pressed, I think you mean pressed into it. Okay, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. It says over 40 times in the books of Moses, I counted them over 40 times. I know a guy who counted the entire so-called Old Testament, and he counted 65 times, okay? I didn't get around to, maybe one of these days, I will confirm that. I wouldn't doubt it. I counted over 40, just within the first five books, where God said, I'm talking about thus saith the Lord. I'm not talking about the letters of Paul. I'm talking about thus saith the Lord. God said, that his law is forever, eternal, to all generations, perpetual, forever. Okay? That's what he said. He had plenty of time, plenty of time. In fact, he had over 1,400 years, 1,450 years, and many prophets from Genesis to Malachi. He had many prophets and (laughs) 1,400 plus years to say that his law is only temporary until John comes or until the Messiah comes. Not once, not even once. In fact, the complete opposite, scores of times, scores of times, God says it is eternal, eternal. How? How does that fit into your doctrine? You must, you must be, you must have, you must be able to, you have to do one or two things. You must either have to ignore what God said 40 plus times, what I counted, a a guy I know 65 times. You have to either one, ignore it, ignore, ignore God's word. Pretend like he lied or he didn't know what he was talking about. Maybe he, he forgot that the law would be done away with when John come or when, when Jesus came, whatever, the, whatever, when the New Testament began or whatever, whatever, however you look at it. It's either you ignore it 
or you look at the doctrine you have bide, you bought into, the, the doctrine that you bought into, the doctrine that you swallowed hook, hook, line, and sinker, and you got to say, this is the one that's wrong. This is what's wrong, okay? There's so much, so much in the scriptures that tell us that the law is eternal. And this is one of the reasons why Jews cannot Gentiles have a hard, Christians have a hard time winning knowledgeable Jews over to their doctrine. They have a really, really hard time. Why? Because Jews, knowledgeable Jews, know the Bible way more than Christians do. So you go to a Jew, you say, oh, by the way, the Torah, you know, the Torah that you, that you celebrate because it says in the, it, God said that you're supposed to celebrate the Torah, says in the book of Psalms many, many times you're supposed to celebrate it. By the way, that Torah that, is, that, that God said is sweeter than honey, more precious than gold, to be desired above rubies. The Torah that God said is to be sought and to be valued above all. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, to give you a couple. Oh, by the way, that Torah, you know, the Torah that God said 43 times that it's eternal. By the way, um, psych, <laughs> psych. God got you on that one, didn't he? It's not true. God lied to you 40 some odd times, okay? It was just temporary until John came or until Jesus came or until the New Testament began. Then it's done away with or then it's put up on a shelf. Then it's nailed to the cross. Okay, so like, for example, for example, because some people say, you know, I have spoken to Christians. They know they know that it says 40 some odd times that the, that the law is eternal. So you know what they say? They say, well, yeah, it is eternal, but we just don't observe it now. It is eternal. But you know, I was talking to a guy on TikTok last year and he said that he said, yeah, I'll, gi I'll give that to you. It's true. God said it's eternal, so therefore it wasn't done away with, therefore it wasn't finished, it's still there, but we don't observe it anymore. Again, there's a lot of problem with that. Lots of problems. Let me show you one. This is 2 Kings chapter 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 37. This is God's word. Stone quarry, this is God's word. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, the commandment, which he wrote for you. The law here, by the way, in the, in the Hebrew is Torah. You shall be careful to observe. Oh, what's that word right there? What's that word? What's that word? Let me, let me just zoom, zoom in here, okay? Let me just zoom in here a little bit. What does it say? You shall be careful to observe um, for 1,400 years, and then after that, you know, when John comes, it'll be done away with. It, it, you know, you don't have to observe it anymore. Uh, oh, when Jesus, when the Messiah comes, then, then you'll, you know, you don't have to observe it anymore. It's just temporary. What does God's word say? It's very, very clear. It's painfully clear. In fact, the only way, the only way you can deal with that, if you, if you don't want to reject and divorce yourself from the corrupt Christian narrative, 
If you don't want to do that, the only way to deal with that is to ignore it. To ignore it, just to say, oh, yeah, but. No, yeah, buts. This is God's word. This is, yeah, this is, this is not some little Pauly, Pauly and Paul guy writing, writing a personal letter. This is the Nevi'im. These are the prophets. This is God's word. Okay. God said many, many times, it's forever. Forever. Trevor says, okay, thanks for, for the answer. Sorry for being a tad confusing there. YouTube doesn't give us much space. Yeah, no problem. No problem, brother. And this is what I find. You know, Stone Quarry says, Paul does say, thus saith the Lord. When he's quoting the Tanakh, he does. And a few other times, like I, I'm, like I said, he said that Jesus said to him, you know, about the thorn in the flesh. And he, Jesus said to him about the giving and receiving thing. Okay. Okay, I'll give you that. That's what he said. But if you think, then Paul actually speaks, or if he has the authority of the prophets, then you are very, very misled. Very, very misled. Roderick asked the question, how do you offer the firstborn to the Lord? Well, I mean, in it depends on the context you're 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 asking. Like there's the firstborn, the firstborn sacrifices, right? Of the animals. That's one thing. But you talk about the firstborn sons, right? Um I mean, that's a dedication. It actually tells you how to redeem, you know, how to, to offer the firstborn to, to the Lord. And like, basically like dedication, just dedication, um, without getting into a whole lot of detail from the scripture. I mean, just like dedication, right? Um, I mean, I think about Hannah with her, with her son, Samuel, right? She, that's an extreme case of offering a firstborn to the Lord. She just took Samuel and dropped him off at the temple. And she's like, you know, Lord, here he is. He's yours. Um, that's a good example. So Will Sr. says, hey, brother, Acts 9, 13 is the closest thing I can find when the Lord spoke to Ananias. Let me see here. Acts 9, 13. Sorry about that. My thing is acting up a little bit here. 
Acts 9, 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he, and here he has authority from the priests, the, the chief priests, to bind all who call on your name. Uh, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the gent before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Okay. Yeah. Um Okay, uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure what the thing is here, but I mean, all this stuff. I have no. I'm not. I am not uh, opposing any of this. I mean, some people believe, like I know Chris, Chris, uh, Chris. Christina would, uh, some people believe that, that Paul was not chosen. I'm, you know, but um, this is not really what, I'm not sure if you're kind of answering for Stone Stone Quarry or not, but I mean, this is really, I'm asking Stone Quarry for, for actual, you know, this is what the Lord said to me, quotes. As far as we can read, like, as far, I, I, there are perhaps five, five, sentences that the Lord spoke to Paul that Paul explicitly lists in quotes right actually actually the book of Acts is not Paul Paul didn't write it but see like okay so here in the book of Acts, according to Luke, the Lord said to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's one sentence. Then later on, he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. That's two, three sentences. Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will, you will be told what you must do. That's four sentences. So out of the entire book of Acts, as far as we see, only four sentences were spoken according to Luke. Some people challenge it, saying that it's not true. But according to Luke, four sentences, only four, were spoken from Jesus to Paul. Now, you look at, what is it, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if I can remember correctly, see if my memory serves me correctly. It's the thorn in the side. Uh, yeah, right there. So, 2 Corinthians 12, we got one more sentence that Jesus actually spoke to Paul. Other than that, 
what do we have? I don't even know what we're, why we're even talking about it because it's like, The 12 disciples lived with, with Jesus for over three years. They heard Jesus speak to them hundreds of thousands of sentences. Hundreds of thousands of sentences over three years, three and a half years. Paul, on the other hand, compared, uh, compare hundreds of thousands of sentences with what? Five? Five? Five. Okay. Trevor says that Stone Quarry, I, I assume you're hearing Christopher out. Maybe God has you here for a purpose. Stone Quarry says, I think Paul preaches the law of Christ. Okay, but the problem with this, I, I, you know what? I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that at all. If you understand, and this is the problem, again, a lot of these corrupt Christian, cons <laughs> a, lot, a lot of these Paulians, okay, Enomians, Antinomians, lawless Christians, they say that, but what they mean is, oh, it's not the law of God. I mean, God Paul doesn't preach the law, the Torah. He preaches the law of Christ. And that is so, so... It's like, I don't know if, I hope you don't understand, I hope you don't mean that, Stone Quarry, but you need to understand that the law of Christ is the law of God. The law of Christ is the law of God. Jesus does not teach a different law than the law of his father. He does not teach a different law than the law that he gave to Moses. He says in John chapter 5, you don't believe Moses, therefore you don't believe me, because everything that Moses wrote is about me. You, if you believe me, you believe Moses. If you believe Moses, you believe me. How can he say that? Because he preaches the law of Moses, which is the law of God. And to say, to say anything other than that is to say that Jesus... <laughs> is not <laughs> preaching uh, is like how uh, you know how, to say to say anything other than that is to say that Jesus is not preaching the law of his father rather he's preaching his own law which if that's the case he'd be a law breaker and not a law keeper therefore he'd be a sinner and not a savior because it is explicitly commanded in the book of Deuteronomy, we'll get to it, maybe Lord willing tomorrow, it is explicitly commanded in the book of Deuteronomy that you must teach the Torah to others. Okay? If you're a man, you can teach others about the Torah. If you're a woman, you can teach other women, teach your children of the Torah. But it's a command. If Jesus did not teach Torah, he would be a sinner and not a savior. You cannot, if you think that the law of Christ is not the law of God, if you think the law of Christ is not the law of Moses, you've lost it completely. 
Because what you're doing then is you're, you are dividing Christ from God. It's very, very clear that the law is eternal, the law is forever, and the law is for everybody. Numbers chapter 15. So if you want to say that Paul preaches the law of Christ, what I would say to that is, I hope he did. I hope he did. And the, what, what law did, did Christ preach? Torah. The 100%. The law of Christ is Torah. 100%. Trevor says, I was there when you were where you were before Stone. Uh, it took a lot of reading and hearing people out to change a little. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I understand because I was I was the same way as well. Maybe not as much as some other people, but I was too. So I understand. And that's why I am I'm spending so much time doing this. I understand. I understand. Stone Quarry I says I appreciate him answering everything. I appreciate your comments. I can give verses I'll have to copy and paste. Well, please do. I don't know, uh, Stone Corey, I'm not sure how many times like you've actually read through the scriptures and, you know, please don't take me wrong, the wrong way. Okay. Please don't take me the wrong way. It took me a long time to get to where I am. Okay, so when I first got born again in 1992, in August of 1992, when I first got born again, I I knew the truth. You know, it says in First Psalms, or excuse me, not First Psalms, First John. Excuse me. You know, it's getting late here. I'm <laughs> I'm going to have to wrap it up soon here, but. Uh, in First John, you know, it says when you if you have the anointing, you know all things. I'm, I'm not I'm not claim, I don't claim to know all things. Far be it. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, you know, where it says if you have this the anointing, or if you if the Spirit of God is with you, then you basically have all you need. At the very beginning, I knew the truth. I knew the truth about the Torah. I knew the truth about obedience. I knew it. In fact, I got born again in. August of 1992. And in September of 1992, I celebrated, I then believe it was September, if I can remember correctly. I might have to double check with that, but it wasn't long after I celebrated Yom Kippur. I, I celebrated Yom Kippur, my first festival of the Lord. I saw the, the my first holiday of the Lord I celebrated was Yom Kippur. And um and so yeah, um I knew it. I knew the truth at first, but the problem was the problem was I wanted to hook up with other people of faith. So I didn't know what to do. So the first thing I, I thought, well, you know, one of the first one of the churches that I'm more most familiar with was, was a mainstream denominational church. So I started attending there. And when I started attending there, and the more I got into the church, 
mainstream denominational church, the more I started buying into all this stuff similar to what you're what you're talking about, Stone Quarry. But I read the Bible more and more and more and more. And as I read the Bible, one of my lights just went out here. As I read the Bible, I I understood, I started thinking more. I was I was thinking more and more and more. And uh, the more I read the Bible, the more I understood that a lot of things that I heard, a lot of things that I was taught was not true. And so it just sent me, I just started reading the Bible more and more and more and more. And as I read the Bible more and more and more, I, I started, you just start seeing things more and more and more. Uh, it took a while because I noticed like, you know, pride, natural human pride tends to, it's like, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to admit that you believed a lie. You don't want to admit that you were naive enough to believe something that's not true. I know it's a hard thing to swallow. There goes the light again. It's a hard thing to swallow. I understand that. I had to swallow it too. But I want the truth. Even if it hurts. And a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times the truth does hurt. So you have to be humble enough to say, you know what? I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Humble enough to hear other people out. Roderick, <clears throat> very good. If you love me, keep my commandments. Right. That's what it says all the way through the scriptures. And even, you know, when Jesus said that, of course, what are his commandments? It was the commandments of God. He said, he said, I don't speak of myself. I speak what the Father gives me. What's the, it's God. It's the commandments of God. He was a Jewish rabbi. He could not make up his own commandments. That would be unlawful. He had to preach the commandments of God. When he said my commandments, just like any other rabbi today, when they, when they say my commandments, they're talking about the Torah. Because they. this is the thing. When you go through a bar mitzvah, or bat mitzvah, if you're a, if you're a woman, you take possession of the commandments. It's not like God's commandments or His commandments or the rabbi's commandments or that commandments or Moses' commandments anymore. It's your commandments. So when Yeshua went through His bar mitzvah, which He more than likely did, um, He made all the Torah His commandments. And that's something a lot of people don't think about. Stone Corey says, we have to preach the kingdom of God. I say 100% amen to that. Yes, absolutely. Tr uh, Seek Truth in Christ says, I think most people don't even understand what the law is. They're mixing the law of sin with the law of God. Yes, absolutely. Yes, Stone Quarry, I say amen to this. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Yes, absolutely. His commandments are his father's commandments. He's not separate. He's not a rogue son. <laughs> Question for me. Question for Move says, uh, oh, dude, you're still alive. Yeah. Yep. Still here. Still alive. I'll, I'll be wrapping it up very shortly, though. Tomorrow we'll be back. 
2 p.m. Eastern, Lord willing, 2 p.m. Eastern, we'll be back. Make sure you join us again tomorrow. But let me just check out some of these other, just a few more. That's it. Um, again, I apologize if I miss a lot of this stuff. Will says, Christopher, Enoch, yes, brother. Yeah. This is very, very important, Roderick. I'm glad you mentioned this. Sounds like some Marcion doctrine to me. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Stone Quarry, if you don't know about Marcion's doctrine, you should look it up. It was the first great heretic of the church. Marcion believed that there was like two gods. like, And he believed that the Torah wasn't applicable today. And that Paul was like the, the only one we're supposed to go by. He didn't believe in anybody else, you know, go by anybody else. He actually was the first one to, to whip up a New Testament. He, you know, he, he's the first one to say that the Tanakh is the Old Testament. And, and he put together Luke or a modified version of Luke plus the letters of Paul. And he's the first one to say this is the New Testament. So the whole, and um, church fathers denounced him as being possessed of the devil, more or less. They said the devil's in his mouth. Uh, he's a son of the devil. Polycarp called him a child of the devil. Think about it. If, if, the ch if a child, if, if the devil separated out the Tanakh and called it Old Testament, what does that tell you? If the devil says, no, we don't go by Torah no more, what does that tell you? If the devil says, hey, just the letters of Paul and, a and, and Luke, just one gospel and just the letters of Paul. That's it. If the devil does that, what does that tell you? Stone Quarry, I just did a video on this. I just did a video on this. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 17. I'll just quickly go over this one more time. And this is what I'm talking about because, I mean, a lot of people put a lot of comments on my TikTok and my YouTube and all kinds of, and it's like, man, I just did a video on this. Why do you say like, if you, if you just look at my video, I, I, I speak to all this stuff. I speak to all this stuff. Okay. So, um, let's go to John chapter one quickly, quickly, quickly. Okay, John chapter 1, let's start with verse 16. Take it in context. For his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Other translations, some of them say grace after grace, grace upon grace. Here's the concept here. Grace upon grace. Grace here, grace there. Grace after grace. That's the context that John is painting. That's the picture that John is painting here. That's the foundation right there. Grace, grace here, grace there. Grace for grace, grace upon grace, grace after grace. Okay, so that's it. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Now, a lot of a lot of um, translations have a word but in here. The word but is in italics which means it's not in the original manuscripts. So it's not a 
it's not a the law of Moses, but Jesus. It sounds like it's like it sounds like they are at odds against one another. Like like they're opposing parties. We got the law of Moses over here, but Jesus is over here. That's not what it says in the original. Check out your check out your Bible. You'll see the word "but" in italics, which means it's not in the original manuscripts. There's no "but" there. It's together. They're working together, as Yeshua said himself in the Book of John to the Pharisees. He said, "You search the scriptures. What were the, what were the scriptures back in those days? The Torah. You search the scriptures because you think that in them, in and of themselves, you you have life. No, they all speak of me." There's no contradiction there. The law of God is 100% in tune with, with the real Yeshua. And, the, and Yeshua is 100% in tune with the real law of God. He also said in John chapter 5, you believe me, you believe Moses. You believe Moses, you believe me, because Moses spoke of me. We're, we're one. In, we're one. Moses himself said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, a prophet is coming like me. Every Christian I know says that is Moses was prophesying about Jesus coming, which I believe it true. I believe that's the case. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, a prophet is coming like me. Him you shall hear. Obey him. He didn't say, oh, God is sending someone opposed to me, like the law. Of, then we have grace. Remember, in the context in, in, in verse six, 16, John says, grace upon grace, grace after grace, the law of Moses, grace and truth by Jesus Christ. The law, every, remember, remember, when you're reading the Bible, you need to read it in context, not just textual con context. I'm not, what I mean by that is don't just read the verse before, verse after, chapter before, chapter after, you know, whatever. Cultural context makes all the difference. Cultural context makes all the difference. In other words, you have to ask yourself the question, what does this mean in the culture that it was written in? To one culture, it means something completely different than another culture. Remember, John was a Jew. His audience were all Jews. They all knew, and they knew very, very, very well that the law of Moses was considered to be an act of grace, a law of love, a law of liberty, as they call it. It's the law of liberty. It's the Torah. It's God's greatest gift to man, according to the Jewish culture. So John says, we have all received grace upon grace, grace after grace, the law of Moses i.e. grace. Everybody knew it was grace. Verse, not verses, but the law of Moses, Jesus, grace and truth. Grace upon grace. The law of Moses, grace. And Jesus, grace and truth. Okay? So, to what happens is, most, again, the modern, corrupt Christian narrative uses that verse to say, oh, look it. Jesus is, is, is opposite to Moses, where we got the law, and then we got grace and truth. It's like, think for me a minute. Think for me, or think with me for one minute. Think. If that is the case, 
If it is the way modern corrupt Christianity paints it to be, the law over here and grace and truth over here, if the law is against truth, great uh, grace, then the law also must be against truth. That means the law is false. That means the word of God that came through Moses, God's word, thus saith the Lord, you're calling him a liar. If you're dividing the law between, between the law and grace and truth, you are calling God a liar. You are blaspheming the law. Read uh, James chapter 2. He says a whole lot against blaspheming the law. Don't slander, don't judge the law, he says. You judge the law, you, be, you don't become a doer of the law, but a judge of the law. You don't judge the law. You don't judge God's word. You, you just, you humbly receive it. So the law of Moses is grace, just like the law of Moses is truth. The law of Moses is the word of God, which is grace, and the law of Moses is the word of God, which is truth. So it's very clear. Again, I'll show you guys. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, i.e. grace. Every Jew, know, every Jew knows that, grace. And then we also have grace over with Jesus Christ, with, you know, grace and truth. So what's he trying to say? He's trying to, he's just trying to say, hey, Jesus has got is got is got as much grace as the as the law does. That's basically what he's saying here. Just as much as Jesus has as much truth as the word of God that came through Moses did. Okay? Because if the law was not on the side of grace, then obviously the law would not be truth either, because grace and truth come together on the same the very same sentence here. So that's what it's saying. That's what John is saying here. Again, you got to look at it from a Jewish perspective. The Jewish perspective is the law of God is wonderful, beautiful, the law of liberty, an occasion to rejoice. It's the work of grace. It's a heavenly father that loves his children well enough to give them instructions for life. That's what it is. So please, please, I highly recommend. <laughs> Stepping back, reassessing. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you do that, if you do that, your faith will skyrocket. Your conviction will skyrocket. Your relationship with God will go places you never thought possible. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Okay, guys. I'm going to have to wrap this up. I am sorry, but I'm going to have to wrap this up very, very shortly. Um, uh, let me see here. And this is very true. Joshua says, yes, um, the more accurate one's doctrine becomes, the less people they have to fellowship with, sadly. That's true. That's true. 
Oh, Joshua, I, I, I'll never forget. I'll read this and I'll let you know what I'm thinking. Uh, Joshua said, but I am grateful that God has shown me the truth about his word. There is definitely a famine for his word today, especially in my age group. So I'll never forget. This was about 12 years ago now, maybe longer, 13 years ago, approximately. I had a pastor in my, ho- in my home sitting on my couch, and it was a pastor of another mainstream denomination, Christianity. And I, and I said to him, face to face, I said, there's a famine in the land. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? So yeah, there's a famine in the land. It's a famine for the fear of God. It's a famine of the fear of God. It's the famine of the word, basically. And he was shocked. He was shocked. And I said, it's true. People just want all of their nice little sin-friendly, sin, sin-friendly gospel. You know, their Anomian, Paulian gospel. That's what they go by. But, you know, they want their ears tickled, right? Stone Quarry says, the word is Yeshua. Uh, I say amen to that. Say the word, and a lot of Christians need to understand the word includes the Torah. So if you're Yeshua, now I'm not talking specifically to you, Stone, but talking to others. If your Yeshua is not compatible with the Torah, you've got the wrong Jesus. Because the real Jesus of the Bible is 100% compatible with the Torah because he is the Torah in the flesh. So the more you obey the Torah, the more Christ-like you become. The more in line you get with the Torah, the more in line with Jesus you are. It's actually a simple concept. And this is true as well, uh, Stone. Uh, The Torah means instructions, yes. Many times it's translated as law, and it does mean law in a certain sense. But a lot of Jewish people as well, they, they um, prefer to translate it as instructions as opposed to law. Law sounds a little bit cold, you know. Okay, so this is the thing, okay. So, I mean, it, it, I find this happens, and this is very sad that it happens, Okay. And I've I've seen this happen more times than it should ever happen. And that is when you have some when you talk about Torah, you always have someone try to say, "What well, do you do? You obey Torah? Oh, you don't obey Torah." They're up, it's like the ad hominem effect, right? They are. And please do not do that in the live chat. Okay, do not attack one another. Do not say, "Hey, do you obey Torah? Oh, look at you. Do you do this? Do you do that? Look." Forget about everybody else. What you should be concerned about is what is being presented here. What's being presented in the live chat? What is, what are, what's being presented in this live stream? Is it truth or is it not? If it's truth, 
The ball's in your court. Okay? Don't try to attack, attack anybody else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Joe Blow in the live chat, you know, mixes uh, fabrics or whatever the case is. It doesn't matter. Okay? It's really not anybody's business. If we, if there is somebody here that is a hypocrite, that's between them and God. That's between them and God. Okay? Yes, we call out hypocrisy, all that kind of stuff. But what I'm saying is, in this, in this context... And I understand when people when people are presented, when you got these mainline, mainstream, nominal Christians that are presented with the truth, the truths that we are talking about tonight, there's there's always like some knee-jerk reactions. Ad hominem attacks. Well, do you obey the Torah? Oh, you don't obey the Torah. Oh, yeah, you don't do that. Well, what does it matter? What does it matter? I mean, Matthew chapter 23. In the first few verses, verses one, two, three, first few verses, Jesus said, listen to the Pharisees. Obey them. Do what they tell you to do. Do and observe everything they tell you to do and observe. Just don't do what they do because they don't really go by the Torah. They don't. They're hypocrites. They don't obey the Torah. They tell you to obey the Torah. You should listen to them. You should do what they do. Observe what they tell you to observe because they sit in Moses' seat and they're preaching you the Torah. And it's your responsibility to do what they tell you to do. Just don't take their example. Just don't follow their example because they're hypocrites. So if there is a hypocrite in our fellowship, if there is, I hope there's not, but if there is, if that hypocrite preaches the truth, listen. If that hypocrite tells you to do something that is true, that, that God tells you to do, if that hypocrite tells you to obey the Torah, obey the Torah. Don't ad hominem attack saying, oh, look it, you don't, you don't pay, you know, you don't, you, you don't pay your tithes. Or whatever the case is. Do not add ad hominem attack. Another thing that people do is they, what you call red herring fallacy. The red herring fallacy. There's the ad hominem fallacy that I just spoke of. Then there's the red herring fallacy. That is trying to divert, trying to, um, trying to, what do you call it? Ref deflect or change the subject, ignore what's being presented. It's like, if I present to you, you know, um, Acts chapter 21, what James preaches there. And if you just all of a sudden quote, quote um, Galatians 3.24, it's like, wait a second. Uh, uh, I made points on Acts 21. Speak to those points. Don't distract. Don't distract from the points that I presented. That's what people tend to do as well. 
the red herring fallacy. Try to blow a smokescreen over the truth, over the points that are presented. Don't do that. Don't blow a smokescreen over it. Don't quote all these different unrelated scriptures. If, if someone presents to you five points, and if they're wrong, then prove point by point why they're wrong. If I present five points and one of them, one of those points is wrong, prove that it's wrong. Say, you said such and such. I don't believe it's true because yada, yada, yada. Present your evidence. If, it's, if what you say is true, so be it. I'm wrong. If what you say is not true, then you didn't get anywhere. <laughs> you didn't get anywhere. Just don't blow a smokescreen and try to try to change the topic or divert, re, deflect, or distract from the truth. That's what happens so much. I see that so much in Christians today. You say, for example, well, God said. 45 times, 43 times, that his law is forever. Paul says uh, it's nailed to the cross. It's like, hello, so can you speak to, like, what are you trying to say? You know, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that Paul is right and God is wrong? What are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that Paul over, overrides the word of God? Like, what are you trying to say? This is what happens so much. So please stay away from ad, hom ad hominem fallacies and red herring fallacies. And also straw man fallacies as well. Misrepresenting the, fa misrepresenting the argument. Misrepresenting the points. I've, I get that a lot as well. All right, guys. Okay, so uh, that'll be it for for tonight. That'll be it for tonight, guys. Tomorrow evening, uh, not tomorrow evening, excuse me, tomorrow afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern, Lord willing, we'll be back uh, sharing the Word of God, fellowshipping, answering your questions and your comments. And so make sure you uh, make sure you got those notifications turned on. Make sure you um, you're subscribed if you're not subscribed. And uh, hopefully I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. Okay, guys. Vinny says, Hey, awesome fellowship. Talk about iron sharpens iron. You guys are so knowledgeable. Praise the Lord. I learned so much through all of you. So thank you very much, Vinny. And as always, Vinny, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And thank you for your questions, your comments. Thank you for your fellowship. Be blessed. Be blessed, brother. The Tower Time says, I, I somehow can't see everyone else's comments. I don't know why. Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the problem is. So I'm I apologize. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Maybe it's a YouTube thing. 
Trevor says, have a blessed night, brother. Shalom. You too. Blessings multiplied back to you, brother. The Tower of Time says, Amen. Shabbat Shalom, y'all. Shabbat Shalom. The Tower of Time says, come back soon. Stone Quarry. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, Stone Quarry, if she's still with us or not. Vinny says, oh, I'm sorry. The, the uh, thing here. Um, Alyssa, I should say, says, Lila Tov, Shabbat Shalom. Yes, good night, Shabbat Shalom to you as well. Multiplied back to you. Vinny says, thank you, Christopher. God bless everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Amen, amen. And one John 2.26 says, thanks for everything. Blessings to you. Thank you as well, one John 2.26. Blessings multiplied back to you. So we'll see you again tomorrow. 2 p.m. Eastern, as always, I pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.